What's up everyone and welcome to episode 209 of the Justin Inside podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Birkbeck, I'm your host and guide through said podcast and it's been a bit of a busy old week, just work life in general but kind of been doing some odds and sods as well, went to a wrestling show for the first time in forever which was a pleasant little surprise like I was a little bit apprehensive because I don't know I kind of I haven't fallen out with wrestling fallen out fallen out of love with wrestling but I definitely have with like UK wrestling um but I don't I wanted to go back see what it was all about and it was a damn good show I'm not gonna lie so that was a a nice little surprise um I feel like there's been other things I've been doing but my mind has gone completely blank right now. So, yeah, that's, I apologise, I can't give you a live admin update. Um, but as always, you're not here to listen to me talk about my life, you're here to hear me talk to people involved in the world of alternative music. But there is a little bit of, bit of sad news that I do want to mention. So French screamo juggernauts Diatro, they uh, recently put up on their Facebook page that their guitarist, uh, Samuel uh, Moncharmont, I believe that's how it's pronounced, uh, sadly passed away after a long-standing battle with cancer. So uh, thoughts and prayers with Samuel's loved ones and the rest of the Diatro band and everyone who was involved in when they were a band. So, yeah, really sad to see because they are one of the juggernauts of, of the screamo genre. Um, but, yeah, in more positive news, rad, rad week for releases. The One Step Closer record is finally out into the world. It's phenomenal. Uh, Momentum, new record. Uh, LLNN, new record. Sleep Tokens new record, new Wraith uh, record of thrash metal band who are definitely worth your time. Never Ending Game EP, Payback record, new Modern Colour EP. Just, yeah, so much came out this this week. Um, Threat of Fear. No, sorry, Quiet Fear. Threat of Fear, that's a new one. Um, but yeah, just so, so much exciting new music has been coming out in this last week alone but just in the last year and a half which is really rad to see which ties in nicely with my guest this week and is a person who I've been dying to talk to for quite some time and I'm so happy that we managed to to get this together uh, my guest this week is the voice of the Marks for Life podcast uh, and former vocalist of Kingdom and Eating Alive Davin uh, Bernard uh, just right off the top, I don't know why, but I've been having real technical difficulties recently. So there was a few issues that I had with the uh, episode last week with Cynthia. Thought I'd managed to fix them all, but then they literally creeped up as I was recording with with Davin. So the audio on my end is not the greatest. It's it's like it's fine, but me being pernickety and a perfectionist it's not amazing so i just kind of want to give a heads up on that but 
that aside, this is a phenomenal chat. Um, we get into everything from uh, Davin getting into Guns N' Roses and that being the spark that lit the the touch paper to go on and discover hardcore. Uh, we talk about her being politicised from a, a very young age and how that kind of was a massive sort of driving force in her life and how she wanted to infuse that in the music that she was creating specifically with Kingdom. Um, how she's still kind of looking at pursuing musical stuff herself but has a very, very busy life. And obviously we talk about Mark for Life, how that kind of came about, how sort of people and bands have engaged with it what she sees for it for the future and yeah just so much more and as i say this was a really cool chat and i'm forever thankful for for davin for taking the the time and having a chat with me so i'm gonna stop babbling on i'm gonna let you listen to the chat i have with davin and i'll see you on the other side Cool. Right. So joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is the voice of Mark for Life, Davin Bernard. Davin, thank you very much for taking some time and having a little chat with me. Um, I've been sort of like a big fan of the show for a while, so it's an honour to have you on there. But yeah, how's kind of everything in your world sort of been like just outside of of Mark for Life and, and things like that? Um, well, first off, thank you for having me on your show. I have been listening to many interviews, so I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you. It's, I think one of the coolest things actually through the pandemic was, um, having the time to slow down and get to listen to a lot of podcasts and in Mm. listening to interviews with other people in hardcore, it led me to do a lot of reflection on my own life. Like, wow, their experience was so different than mine getting in. Cause you always think like you're the universal, like everyone lived just like I did. And it turns out people actually were like wildly different and had such different experiences that I I really feel like I came to understand, you know, like in listening to hardcore podcasts, hardcore better, you know, when people say things like hardcore is like this, I'm like, why would you even think that? And now I realize like their sets of experiences are so different than mine that I kind of like understand everyone a little better. And I'm feeling a lot more empathetic, Mm. (laughs) like less like, ah, these people, you know, like, you know what I mean? So um, I feel like podcasts like yours are, are, have been really, I mean, they're cool in general, but through the pandemic at this time of like slow reflection have been really nice. Um, so thanks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like, I, I kind of started on this path of like listening to different podcasts and like reflecting on my life and being like, wait, why am I the way that I am? And it turned into like tracing my path through hardcore than my own life in general, than like what kind of person I was like, oh my God, I'm getting deep. This is like therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's one of the things that I've been doing through the last year and a half is some soul searching via uh, podcasts and hardcore. Um, but yeah, th- things have been good uh, for me. I, I work from home. Mm. Um, so my life did not change really when the lockdown started. <laughs> I just stopped leaving my house after. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, it was cool. It was actually kind of like, like I felt guilty because I was like, oh my God, I, I can just lay around on my couch. Like I don't have to do anything and I can't do anything else. And I was like, yes, I'm going to watch every show. I'm like going to stay up till five in the morning because there's no rules anymore. Um, I was kind of having a blast, but 
I did feel like, like there was like this low level terror, you know, in the beginning where you're like, oh my God, like, I know I'm just watching Netflix and I'm bored. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm like really scared. This is like such a weird sensation. So I found myself returning to a lot of the music that I used to listen to, you know, like as a kid, like when I was first getting into hardcore. So mm. I was like bad, bad brains and minor threat, like all the time. Yeah. And yeah. it made me feel like, like, okay, everything's safe. I'm listening to bad brains. It's going to be okay. Like it was really yeah. soothing in a strange way. Um, like, I remember like, especially when like the pandemic first started, like there was so many people were kind of going to almost like that safety blanket of like, nostalgia and I remember there was like loads of like these like uh kind of like it was almost like internet memes but they weren't quite memes of like oh remember this band and like it would just kind of like go on a loop of like oh remember when trust kill was a thing and like everybody just go down these loops (laughs) it was really strange yeah yeah that definitely was uh that was definitely happening and my my friend Kevin Hare did this zine um, called like quarantineized, quarantized, quor- I don't know, something <laughs> like that. But it was it was like super funny because now in retrospect, because it was a zine about what your lockdown experience was like, okay. like for different people in hardcore. Um, eight days in, which at the time was like <laughs> like an unthinkably long amount of time, and he was like, "How are you dealing with the seven days in your house?" And what's so funny is like everyone was really dramatic about it, including me, because um, you know he interviewed me for it. Um, and everyone was talking about how they were returning to their safety records, yeah. like their, yeah, their, their soothing nostalgia. Um, and a lot of people I feel like returning to kind of more like the hardcore punk roots. I don't know if it's cause it's kind of like, like lighter and like smoothing kind of ride that wave <laughs> through the terror. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's so funny now because it's like day, you know, like 600 <laughs> of 2020 <laughs> and it's like, I don't know if I'm quarantined anymore. I kind of am. I'm not. I don't even know what that means anymore. <laughs> so, like, we should do another zine. Kevin Harris, if you listen to this, do another zine. <laughs> yeah, updated one. How has it been? Updated. Yeah. Like, you know, like, now my experience is like, okay, uh, I got vaccinated. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to a hardcore show. And then I was like, do I wear a mask? Do I not? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, still kind of like low level terror and like with a newfound social anxiety that I didn't have before mm. because I'm, I, I'm naturally really extroverted and I'm really friendly and I like being in groups of people and I can just like talk to anybody. And um, that's like the way I've always been. But now, like when I returned, you know, uh, after being vaccinated, I'm like, Hey, hi. Oh my God. and I'm getting I'm like fucking weird now and I'm like well I don't I don't know what this is like how do I get over this like even making eye contact in the beginning felt weird like I felt like some sort of feral animal I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the first show I went to uh with the the Philly barbecue um it, which was like like an hour out of Philly it was this huge like a million bands played all day thing mm. and because I'm because I'm really short um, to talk to anyone, they have to bend down to talk into my ear, which means they're just breathing all yeah, over my yeah. face. And I could feel the wind. And I was like, oh my God, I should step back. Oh my God, should I? And I was like, oh, I can feel if they, ha-, you know, like I was panicking. And then two fucking days later, I got super fucking sick. Oh no. Like laid out. And I was like, I have a breakthrough case. I have a really shit immune system. So I was like, this is it. This is coronavirus. And, um, I ended up like, I got so sick. I, I had like a rash breakout on both sides of my body. 
I went to the doctor. I was like, I, they were like, yeah, this seems like coronavirus. And I was like, oh my God. And then they tested me and it wasn't, they were like, you're just really, really fucking sick. I kind of wanted it to be, so I could have got it out of the way. And I was like, if that wasn't coronavirus, like I can't go to shows anymore. So I've been like very picking and choosing. I went to one more uh, because dead heat. I moved to New York City um, like two months ago and um, dead heat came. And I think they dropped the album of the year this year. I'm obsessed with their new record. And I was like, I will risk it all. I will risk it all for Dead Heat. I am not missing this because I am of the belief that Dead Heat is about to break out of our scene and we're going to kiss them goodbye and they're going to be playing really large stages. Oh, and we won't get to see them. They're hands down like the next power trip, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, like no one will ever fill those shoes, but like there's got to be yeah. a, cross, a crossover band that has appeal to like thrashers, metalheads. And they're one of those bands, like they appeal to everyone. Yeah, and it yeah. was like they are they are not long for this scene like if i don't see them <laughs> yeah. now it's going to be at one of those shows where there's like one of those punk big punk thrasher circle pits that i hate that i get caught in and i'm like oh, i can't do anything so uh yeah so i i went and i wore a mask which was like pointless because it was basically like a like the room was like a tomb with like sweat dripping yeah, off the yeah. ceiling and i was like i'm so fucked i didn't get sick thank god but uh yeah since then i've kind of stepped back uh because part of my uh so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like talking, talking, talking. No, no, uh, I started grad school, which is why I moved to New York. Hmm. And my school, uh, we have to get tested every 14 days. And if I come up positive, I can't go to class. Oh, shit. And so I'm like, do I risk what I came here to do? Like the thing I'm doing with my life yeah, to yeah. go to a hardcore show? Like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to a show next week. I'm going to see Spy from oh, the area so jealous. gel like, from new jersey oh my god i love, spy I love so much. that band they're so oh, fucking good they're so good i'm really i was like i it was another one that was like i can't miss spy i just can't i can't yeah. miss it i gotta be there and then gel from new jersey who i love um and combust from here so nice. some solid new york hardcore so i was like all right i'm gonna go to that i'm gonna wear a mask i'm gonna stay back i say but i probably won't um <laughs> <so> we'll see <laughs> but i'm gonna risk it all but that's the thing like because i've only been to like a couple of shows and like none of them have been like this typical sort of hardcore show so the first one i went back to was um there's a, a uk act over here called bob villain who's kind oh, of like of them. yeah it's kind of like it's hard to describe they're a two-piece and it's almost kind of like punk rap but it's not quite rap but I, yeah it's really hard to describe but like I would like I was one of probably three people in that room like wearing masks and it felt very like I was kind yeah. of like looking at people I was like you're standing too close to me I don't like this oh I know and I, like what part of that is reasonable and what part isn't and I'm like I'm not a scientist I don't know how diseases yeah. work I don't know like I just don't want to get sick um but I, yeah I actually heard about them through XL Life who yeah, I stumbled yeah, across yeah. recently they're fucking catchy yeah, so I think they did a couple of shows together, maybe recently. Yeah. But yeah, so mm-hmm. if you're there, as I say, I'm not the best person at describing sort of genres and things like that. But they're they're very sort of politically driven. Like they're very influenced by bad brain stuff, and but it's kind of got a more like punky noise vibe to it. It's yeah, it's really cool. You should check That's them out. Cool. Um, yeah. But I know we've been talking for nearly sort of 10, 15 minutes anyway, but oh my God. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna drag you back 
And I'm mm -hmm. going to take you back to your roots and your origins. So, Davin, how did you first get into <laughs> alternative music? What kind of lit the spark? <laughs> um, it was Guns N' Roses. Nice. There's um, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm not ashamed of that. Guns N' Roses <laughs> is the best band of all time. Um, but I, yeah, it was a, it was, I think, third grade. And um, I heard uh, uh, Paradise City, mm. Welcome to the Jungle. And I was like, you know, like Appetite for Destruction came out. I'm a little third grader. I already really liked music. I was like a really, my parents said I used to like you know, play drums on all the pots and pans and they were like, couldn't get me to stop singing. <laughs> I was into Michael Jackson. Like everything I heard, I was like, I like this. I like this. Um, always wanted to be in a band but like, or a singer or something. And then it was when I heard Guns N' Roses that I was like, oh shit, like this is the meaning of life. <laughs> life is a fucking solo that you ride into the horizon. <laughs> you know, like Slash is the coolest person on earth. I am going to be him when I grow up. Um, and then and then that was kind of it for me. Like from Guns N' Roses, I got into Metallica and all the hair metal of the day. Cause I'm like, I'm 39. So like I, this was like the late eighties, probably like mm. I don't know, 87 or something, 88. Um, so it was like the height of hair metal. And I was like, all of it, anything electric, anything with solos, like the bigger the hair, the cooler it is. Cause I'm a <laughs> yeah. child. So it's like a costume and I think it's cool. So I'm like, I'm like way into it. And um, yeah, that was kind of, kind of it for me. No turning back from, you know, like heavy, heavy music. Mm. And then um, it was in middle school. I was 12 and um, I'm from a really, like a really, really small town in Maine, which is the least populous state, I think in the United States. Right. Okay. And um, I am from a town that was like, essentially, I don't know, like a village, <laughs> it's really small. Um, and I grew up in the woods with like, I didn't even have neighbors for a mile. Um, so when a band would, would come anywhere near us, it was like very exciting. Yeah, you went to yeah. see everything. So Primus is coming. I'm fucking there. Um, yeah. And I, I went into the Primus show with my friend and there was, I saw him 12 and there was a dude who was like 16 ish probably. Mm. And he was passing out flyers for a hardcore show, um, at the entrance. <laughs> and he was kind of like. I was, I was actually in my, in my soul searching, kind of thinking about this moment. Cause I was like, he wasn't giving flyers to everyone. Okay. And now as someone, as someone who gives flyers at shows, and sometimes you only have so many, especially if it's like a really, really big show. And you're like, oh shit, I only made 50 flyers. And there's like 400 people here. Yeah, You have to be really discerning. Like who looks like they might be receptive to this or mm. who do I think I want to like get into this? you gotta size people up right so i don't know if he did that because he wasn't giving them to everyone but me and my little other 12 year old friend he was like hey hey and gave us a flyer <laughs> um and i was like what's this and he was like it's a hardcore show I was like, what a hardcore show like what is even a show concert or something <laughs> and i was like okay whatever so like i walk away and i'm looking at it and there's like multi so many bands you know like five bands which seems weird because primus it's like an opener and primus or something yeah yeah so like five bands hardcore show like what um and on the way out of the show uh out of the way uh, on the way out of the primus concert the guy's standing there giving out more flyers and he sees me he's like you're gonna be there right and i'm like e? i'm like oh my god I'm, I'm like i have to be there i said yes <laughs> and i was like yeah man i'll be there yeah i'm definitely me like oh. so i go home and i'm like dad i gotta go to the show it's a hardcore show and i told him i was gonna be there <laughs> and my so um my dad lets me go and that was my first time. I don't actually remember the show actually. Um, but I do remember that I really just loved the vibe. And after that, I was like, 
I need to go to more. And, you know, I think at that first show I got flyers for more. Yeah. And after that, it was kind of like, like my, my friend who came with me was like, I don't really like this. I don't want to go to another show. And I was like, okay, cool. So I just started going alone (laughs) to these shows. Um, And I felt really comfortable there, which in retrospect seems really strange because I was like a 12 year old girl going to hardcore shows by myself and I didn't know anybody, (laughs) but, um, and 13 and, and, and 14. And, but I, I really, really loved it. And I felt, um, I I felt really welcome in a weird way Mm. where people like acknowledged me and left me alone, but didn't, you know, like, let me do my thing and didn't make fun of me. Didn't make me feel because, you know, like alternative people were typically like weird ones in school. I know I was. So like there, I just felt like very normal, you know? Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. I can I completely sort of like relate to that, even though like I was a bit older. So I I grew up in, in a city called Portsmouth, which is like on the south coast of, of England. But I lived mm-hmm. in London for four years when I was at university. And like, when I went to uni, like the one of the main reasons like me wanting to go to London because like I knew it was like a city where all the bands went to and like that was like a big thing for me. But I didn't know anyone in London. And then when I first started going to shows, like mm-hmm. I was going to shows on my own. And ironically, one yeah. of them was one of your shows, which we'll get to in a little bit. But oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's awesome. I was just like I was going to all these shows on my own but it was like even though I was like sort of 17 18 at the time mm-hmm. like I didn't know anyone in the city but like you did see this like the, the same faces and mm-hmm. it would be like exactly. that a knowledgeable like nod of like oh yeah cool you're here again sort of thing and like that yeah. it was fine and like weird kind of big circle now like there's a few people from like those shows back when I was like in my late late teens who are now some Mm -hmm. of my closest friends and like but at that period of time we were just like friends across a room sort of thing so yeah get that sense of like feeling welcome into it sort of thing yeah um, definitely there was like an unspoken mutual respect hmm. and I think especially for girls yeah especially young girls you don't get that anywhere in the world there's no place where you are respected. Um, and especially during like going through puberty, that's when the world is starting to really sexualize you, yeah. where people are starting to dismiss you. So for me getting into hardcore and feeling like I felt just a couple of years before, you know, when you're a little kid, you're all kind of equal, right? Yeah. So, and then it starts to change really suddenly when you go through puberty and then all of a sudden everyone's like, actually you're a sex object and what you say doesn't matter. And you're like, wait, what? No, I'm a person, what's <laughs> happening? Um, and so when I went to hardcore, I felt really free um, to just be a person mm. and not like confined to the world's image of what a, what a girl should be yeah, or yeah. a sex object or nobody was like kicking it to me, you know, like people were just like, yo, what's up? And I was yeah, like, hey, yeah. what's up? <laughs> you know, like, and I could just like breathe a little and, and I felt really safe in the way where like um, nothing was going to happen to me because of my gender and like not safe in the way where like maybe I was going to get punched, which was like the exact kind of danger I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. <laughs> so just to kind of backtrack again a little bit, like mm-hmm. in terms of you, as you say, like Guns and Roses was like the jumping in point, but how did you kind of like elevate to sort of Primus? Was like somebody like, were you just sort of really like interested in music and sort of digging and digging and digging or did people yeah. kind of put you onto certain bands? 
I mean, I think they were kind of Primus was like super famous. So it was like yeah. you turned on the radio, the radio and you would hear it. Um, so I was getting into like alternative music just through people at school, you know, like all the alt kids. Um, I mean, there was like, I mean, grunge was happening too. There was like Nirvana and all of that. I was super into Nirvana when they were around. Um, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Like I just felt anything heavy I was there for. Mm. Um, and if it was mainstream, I would hear about it. But then I was like also, you know, later through hardcore getting into underground stuff, which was way more fun. But yeah, I think I was just kind of like, like ears open to what people were talking about the radio when I could listen to that. And um, there was a record store that opened in the town next to mine uh, called Bulmos Music. And it was a really, really, really big deal for us because like, I'm from like a one horse town, you know what I mean? Like right, I'm yeah, from nowhere. Yeah. Um, and the town next to ours, Brunswick had a street um, with like a candy shop that sold like baseball cards and like, uh, <laughs> like something out of the fifties. It was like, <laughs> like, uh, like a little, like a diner where all the like little ladies drink coffee together. Um, and a few other little places like uh, a post office and then bull moose music opened and there was like a dude with a mohawk worked there and uh, (laughs) and so and my dad my dad's like super cool Um, and I was I was living my parents are divorced and I I was uh, living with my dad and my dad does like at the time had a a company where he did custom promotional items like pens and business cards Mm. and flags and whatever you want to order but all on like eco-friendly recycled products so my dad's like a huge environmentalist so he's doing that so he's linking up with all like the other cool like environmentalism is becoming a thing people are kind of like waking up to like the first wave of like greening in the early 90s yeah um and so my dad's connecting with like other people his age one of whom is the owner of bonus music so we're over there all the time because my dad's like okay and my dad's like let's look at all the records i'm gonna do you know do my business and he was really comfortable letting me like hang out there So I was able to pick up a lot through the record store, through the flyers on the wall, through just like being a little kid hiding behind the CDs, watching the older teenagers, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, So a lot of it came from there as well. So then when, as you say, like that, after that Primus gig, you had that, the flyer for the hardcore show and then that was sort Mm -hmm. of off to the races sort of thing. That was it. That was it. (laughs) When you were kind of like first like discovering it, were there kind of mm-hmm. any particular bands that like really stood out to you when you were first discovering hardcore? Oh, fuck yeah, there was. Um, so yeah, like I, so I got in, I mean, like from, from 12 to 14, my, my involvement was pretty limited hmm. because like I said, I'm from nowhere. Um, I don't have any friends that are into it at all. Um, it's just me by myself. Um, I live 45 minutes from our main big city, which is Portland. Hmm. Um, and that's where shows were happening for the most part. There were a few that would happen in Brunswick, kind of like around that bull moose scene, including one of the greatest hardcore bands to ever come out of Maine. They were called Polyglot. Okay. Um, they kind of sounded, they sounded like Integrity um, and Hatebreed. That, that, like kind of everyone did in that era, like, like <laughs> yeah. 1994, everyone sounded like that, which was sick. And that sound is coming back right now. And it's the first time I've heard that wave, that like that sound come back yeah, in any yeah. form. And I'm like losing my shit. Um, <laughs> Because I think, I mean, and I think that that's just like one of those nostalgia things for me. I'm like, I don't know if it is really good, but I think it's really good. I'm so <laughs> glad, like, like actually like, like Final Right out of the Hudson Valley. Um, it just premiered one of their tracks on the last Mark for Life. Like they're doing that town. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, I'm a super fan. Um, but yeah, so like, uh, yeah, Polyglot was a huge band for me. Um, but like uh, Blood for Blood, Mm. came around when I was like 14 I think was like 
when they were starting they're from Boston Maine's like you know Portland was like two and a half hours away yeah so I think I was like 14 when I saw my first blood for blood show and it was super cool it was another one of those like I got my dad to drive me 45 minutes to Portland because he just knew how important this music scene was to Mm. me this like music culture he's very cool dad and um, drop me off and I'm chilling and then Blood for Blood comes out. And, you know, they're like, yo, what's up? We're Blood for Blood. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> these guys are like, they're, they're really intense. And then out of nowhere, like, you know, like a swarm of bees come out with these, like, I mean, to me, they look so old. They're probably like 28 <laughs> to 35 year old skinhead dudes, but I'm 14. So I'm like, those are like my dad's age. This is crazy. And out they come, and it's the first circle pit I ever saw. Yeah, yeah. And then one dude put another dude's head through the wall, oh, and he was shit. laughing like, <laughs> and like I said, like I I like chaos, I like violence, I like all the chaotic natures of hardcore, like like that, like that was one of my early, you know, times seeing it. Yeah. And I saw that, and I was like, oh my god, and like seeing that happen, and the guys laughing, and the music keeps going, and people don't care, and I was like this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I want to put someone's head through my, through a wall. Like I want to do this, you know, or maybe I don't, I don't know. I want to get in that circle, but I don't know how to do it. Um, and so yeah, blood for blood, but, but what's cool is like blood for blood is talking about like class politics and, yeah. you know, like they're talking about being like lower income people, which is something that, that I could relate to, you know, like that was my life. So mm. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is really cool. And really, ignorant and violent but at the same time not and I was like okay I like this but my favorite band and I got roasted I still get roasted to this day you're probably gonna roast me but I don't even care <laughs> was 25 to life oh. <laughs> um, but, okay I see I, know, I see why you get roasted exactly and I understand I do understand but like I feel like when people make fun of 25 to life they don't know that once upon a time 25 to life was one of the biggest bands in hardcore oh, yeah, they were one yeah. of the coolest bands in hardcore and they have like a really solid legacy and they put out some good records um i think but they were probably the most important band for me because i liked i liked the really tough hardcore uh they say about things i related to hmm. um and uh also what i loved about 25 to life was number one like rick was the first really heavily tattooed person I ever saw. And I think this is like 95, 1995. Yeah. I mean, you're not seeing people with head tattoos or sleeves even. People weren't tattooed. Like that That came about like in the early 2000s hmm. was when main tattoos went mainstream. But before that, it was fucking criminal. Like it was a criminal element that yeah, had yeah. that level of tattoo. So for me seeing him and he would talk about like, like the hardcore lifestyle, like I'm down, you know, like down for life kind of thing. And I was like, okay, I get this. Like he's made these marks on his body because he's never going to leave this. Like, oh my God. And that was kind of like formative for me. Like, wow, you can really go deep at this. Like you can make it so that you can't leave. Like what the fuck is Rick to life ever going to do now? Cause look at him. (laughs) This is, you know, like before tattoos, you know, were a thing. Um, But he would also talk about unity and brotherhood and sisterhood um and even though like at the time there really weren't other girls involved which didn't somehow strike me as odd I didn't even really notice Mm. but when he said sisterhood I was like yeah that's right like I felt like everybody's sister you know especially as I started to get to know everyone I was like this is like a hardcore family you're my brothers I'm your sister you know like this was how I was putting it together yeah um and he would talk about you know 
things that were important, talk out, speak out against racism and homophobia. And this gave me an idea of like, this is an aggressive scene, you know, um, but it has, but it's not empty. Mm. And that was one of the things, one of the reasons I really stayed in hardcore because I loved metal so much. I loved the sound of metal, but I thought everything metal sang about was really fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. And I had also got like this like punkorama CD when I was actually 12, right before I went to my first hardcore show. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was exposed to a lot of punk and I really liked the politics. I loved everything they said. There's like feminist vibes and like, you know, like class war vibes and all mm. these things where I was like, yeah, that's fucking right. But I was like, but this music sucks. I hate <laughs> this. I don't like it. So then I hear hardcore and it's got like everything I like out of metal, but with like the heart of punk. But instead of like, I felt like punk was kind of like, nah, 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 nah. hardcore was like, yo, fuck you. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I want racism to end. And I was like, that's how I feel. I have that aggression and that anger. So I really, I connected deeply on so many levels with the scene, with the, with the music and also with what you know, people were talking about, which I think is a huge part of why I stayed. But on 25 to Life, and I, I love to tell this story. <laughs> um, when I was 14, uh, I, I used to collect um, show flyers yeah. to hang on my wall. And 25 to Life uh, had just finished their set. And I, I hopped on stage to quickly, you know, get their they're uh, not their show flyer. They're um, uh, what's it called? All the songs. Set list. Set list. Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, I've been like pacing around frantically, and I'm like out of breath and confused. <laughs> so I'm out of shape from the pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah. So I jump up to grab their set list, and uh, Rick comes over to me, and I've seen Twenty Five to Life now like I don't know three times or something. I know yeah. all the words to their songs. I love them. And he comes over to me. He's like, he's like, dude, you know, like you need help or something? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Just looking around for your set list. And he's like is this your first hardcore show? And I was like, no, <laughs> damn, dude. Like I've been here for two years. I can't believe he thinks this is my first hardcore show. Get out of here, you know? And uh, I was like, no, it's not my first show. He's like, okay, all right. Welcome to hardcore. And I was like, <laughs> and I remember being like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like I wanted to seem cool. Like, but really I was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so nice you know because i was such a little kid <laughs> anyway so that's why uh, 25 to life was a really big band for me that's cool. and then later you know of course hate breed released like satisfaction is the, is the death of desire mm. and then after that actually uh boys at fire like i was really for like all the different waves as they were coming out yeah um and, and it's cool like the era i got in like i got in really young but i was able to see like the birth of metalcore and like the waves of screamo i mean that was happening before i got in yeah but it was able to see like the later more like kind of chaotic screamo and then it turned into like i don't know what you would call page 99 and that whole scene not really screamo but something else yeah. anyway but yeah so like i was watching all these new styles emerge in real time you know and i was like whoa whoa and I looked <laughs> yeah. every single one like i was like kind of like i am with marked for life you know like i wasn't i i, I my my heart is always with like like a New York, a New York hardcore, like a tough hardcore, like that's, that's the thing I connect with the most, like on like a, like a deep, like a level mm. of my soul, you know, but I have like a really deep appreciation for all the other subgenres. And as they were coming out, I was like losing my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like metalcore came out and I was like, Oh my God, like screamo shit was coming out. I was like, Whoa, there's so many emotions. <laughs> um, you know, and, but, but boy sets fire came out and to me, they were something really new but they introduced me to a deeper kind of politics that I hadn't been exposed to yet. And now they're like really classic kind of like, you know, 
like cookie cutter yeah yeah things to say but like they had the song called i don't know if it's called like the power remains the same and it was like the rich die rich and the or the rich stay rich and the and the poor die quietly and the power remains the same and i was like mind blown like yeah. oh my god like there are injustices and i need to think about capitalism and why are the rich people rich and and that really like politicized me a lot as well as um around the same time uh you know, Earth Crisis it was the rise yeah, of yeah, yeah. Crisis, and One King Down, and all these vegan bands, and I was like really, really into that, um, and became vegan, um, and got really involved in animal rights activism. So I was like living, I think, through hardcore. Um, not only was I like finding these bands to connect to, but like my the way that I viewed the world was consistently changing mm. as each new band came out, and I was like it's almost like being in the matrix, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like That's how I felt. I remember being like, like the, the day, the day that I went vegan, I remember being like this morning, I thought it was okay to eat animals. And now it's like, like this, this curtains come down and I see that this world is like full of unnecessary suffering. And mm. then I'm a fucking part of it. Yeah. I can't believe this. Like, I didn't know if I had known I would have done something, but thanks to one King down. Now I, I have the spot in my head and I can't get rid of it. I can't turn back. I was like, fuck, all right, I guess I got to go vegan. Um, and uh, yeah, and then like with, with, uh, with Boy Sets Fire, I was like, now I'm really aware of like these like class struggles. Like mm. I can't unknow this. I can't see the world. Like now I have, you know, these new feelings, these new questions, this new searching to make things better. And I feel like one of the coolest things about all of these bands that's still today um, is that we're asking these big questions that kind of shatter our visions of the world and keep searching for new answers to push it forward, hmm. if that makes sense. Well, I think that segues nicely into what I was wanted to ask, because obviously, I know you don't necessarily talk about it a lot in On Marks for Life, but because I've sort of followed the bands that you've been in in the past and stuff, that sort of politics and being politicised is a big sort of part of your life. So, yeah. and it kind of, just in the, in the conversation we've had now, it kind of seems like, that's always been something that's been in the back of your mind, but then kind of music was the catalyst to sort of speedball it and you to learn more. So I don't know, was that the case? Was it always something that you knew that there were these injustices or was there like a moment in time that you remember like, oh shit, like other people don't have things that others do sort of thing? a good question and thank you for for noticing <laughs> yeah I really I really do make an effort um mark for life is really not about me mm. occasionally I'll pep story as it relates to a larger issue of hardcore yeah. but like my politics are my politics I would love I consider sometimes having a podcast just talking about stuff <laughs> but <laughs> I don't I just don't have the time but um you know political or not I think that all hardcore has a lot of worth and I think actually it's really part of a larger political project um, of creating a counterculture. Mm -hmm. I think that we're, we're a real alternative to mainstream culture, whether or not we're overtly political, what we're doing in the scheme of society is political. Um, so I think that, you know, that's just how, I, also I'm in school for, for political theory. Oh, cool. <laughs> so like, this is all I care about. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is my framework for seeing the entire world. Um, because I think everything is about power relations. Everything's about power and who has it and who doesn't. Mm. Um, and also how you form society around that. But um, yeah, uh, actually, so such a good question. Um, 
I, I, and that's part of my soul searching that I've been doing, <laughs> yeah. real listening to all of these people talk about their lives. I was like, why have I always been so political? What the fuck is going on with me? Why do I only see the world this way? Why have I always seen the world? Like the world is coded to me in politics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I, and, and a lot of that, I've always been like, well, yeah, duh, like earth crisis, like one came down, of course, like <laughs> I come from like, like political nineties, hardcore, like, of course <laughs> yeah. um, but, but that's not actually true. I realized, um, I actually think there were like a, a couple moments and one is, so, um, I'm half Jewish <laughs> Okay. and, um, and my dad, so I mentioned, you know, my parents were divorced and I was raised by my dad. I mean, of course my mom as well, but I lived with my dad and my dad's side of the family's Jewish and when I was really young, this is something a lot of Jewish families do, um, especially for people, you know, like for people who are in their thirties now, people who are in their twenties, like this is just like the way it goes. Mm. They tell you about the Holocaust when you're way too young to handle that information. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tell you about anti-Semitism when you're way too young to even really comprehend. So that happened to me. I, I think I was, I had to have been in second grade. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Cause I think that's when Schindler's List came out. I don't know. It's all kind of fuzzy now. But, um, so my family sat my, sat me down, um, my dad and my grandmother, and they explained the Holocaust and anti-Semitism and the persecution of the Jews for thousands of years and the pogroms, like all this stuff. And I was like, you know, crying my eyes out because I was like, I don't understand. You know, I'm a kid. I'm like, yeah, well, we're just yeah. people. Hang on. Let's like, I've got to take this bell away from my cat. <laughs> Hammer. Hammer. Okay. Sorry. Hammer's like awesome, but she's being really noisy right now. Um, so yeah so like she they're they're telling me about all this this terrible stuff and I'm like way too young to process the information and I'm I, I'm like traumatized by it. and that's a thing that that people you know my age and younger talk about like I was traumatized by mm. learning about the suffering of you know like our our families yeah um and I, I don't know if I got like I don't know if it was like PTSD I've actually been wondering about that recently because I was, I was so deeply affected that I started having nightmares every night about like being in concentration camps. And oh, shit. Um, I started being really like, I would almost get like, I guess I see this. I don't know. I would get like flashbacks during the day of things I never lived, but like hmm. the things my family told me because my little mind like couldn't process it. So we started studying World War II in class and I had like a, like an episode, <laughs> like I couldn't, like I was crying and I was like very like I couldn't be there. So I actually got excused from World War II studies as a kid because I was like too upset. Yeah. <laughs> and I was having too many nightmares and like weird visions in my head. Anyway, um, so that was like the, the really the first when I was like, because I kept asking, but why? Like, why mm. would this happen? And they were like, because people are terrible, you know, like because sometimes <laughs> yeah. people don't like people who are different. And I was like, but that's not right. How do we stop that? And they were like, well, that's, that's the question, isn't it? And I was like, shit, you know? <laughs> so I became really aware, really young, like not everything is what, you, what it seems. And also um, just a few years later, my dad and I had an anti-Semitic stalker. Oh, shit. Um, that, yeah, was making death threats to us because uh, it was just me and my dad living in the woods. And they were using a voice distorter and they would leave messages on our answering machines oh. back in the landline days saying, you know, I'm going to kill your daughter. I'm going to kidnap, you know, really crazy. And my dad sat me down. He's like, I have to tell you this for your safety. There's someone threatening us. They say they're going to take you. I wasn't allowed to ride the school bus anymore. My dad had to drive me to school every day. We were trying, you know, the police, the police were like, well, until they do something, we can't help you. Mm. We're like, but once they do something, it's too late. Yeah, and that's yeah. the way, I mean, you'll hear that with domestic abuse people too. They'll call and say, you know, 
he's threatening me, he's threatening me. And then the next thing, you know, it's too late. Yeah. But the police can't do anything. So police are fucking useless. But um, yeah, so like we would actually be at home and then, you know, and we're like out, you know, in the woods and there'd be a car just parked on the street, like outside of our house, just watching us. Oh, and when no. we open the curtains, they would drive away. Yeah, and it all kind of culminated in this like high-speed car chase that I was in with my dad. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like one of a million fucking crazy stories. But <laughs> yeah, we were coming, we were coming home from whatever, and the car was in front of our house, and my dad was like, I'm not taking this anymore. And I was like, No. We, and I, you know, from these like winding backcountry roads, and my dad was in a high-speed car chase with him. I was like bawling my eyes out, like, no, and he was like, We're not doing this anymore. And after that, the guy stopped coming. But I was just like, I was aware of threats for no reason, so young. Mm. But then on the other side, um, with my mom, my mom sat me down and this wasn't, this is probably around the same time. I remember the exact moment, you know, you have these like crystallized moments in your life Yeah, yeah. that you almost like, like if you watch like Harry Potter, you know, like the, where you, he puts his face in the water and you can like rebuild the memory mm. and walk around in it. It's like that. But um, my mom sat, you know, I was in the tub and she came and explained sexism to me. And I was like, it was the same thing. And I was like crying. And she was like, men, when you, you need to know this now. And she explained sexism and that women, you know, women are dismissed and, you know, what rape was and all these other things. And she said, and because you're, you're small, like I'm, I'm a really short person. She was like, when you're smaller, you're not even treated as well as bigger women because they think you're less of a person. And I was like, I'm short and a woman. I hate this. <laughs> like, I was like, and I was like, mom, but why? <laughs> Crying. And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> and um, I was like, it's so unfair. And I was like, what can I do? And my mom was like, you have to fight. And she was like, if a boy ever bullies you, punch him in the face. She was like, do it right away. And she was like, if anyone has a problem with that, they can come to me. And I was like, but I'm, my mom's like really tough. Um, I am, I can be, it turns out what I need to be, but I'm yeah. actually like a, and I didn't know that then I was real. I'm like a, like a phobic and I'm one of those, like, oh, I don't know if I can, uh, like I'm a kind of a whiner. <laughs> so I'm like, I've always been, I'm like nervous. And I was like, I don't want to, I just want to like, you know, watch cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> My mom's like, no daddy you have to punch him in the face. And I was like, oh, I can't, this world is too much, you know? Um, but yeah, and I was always like, yeah, my dad was always like, work things out. My mom was like, violence is the answer. <laughs> um, uh, my, my favorite story, if I can, my mom, I grew up like living in the shadow of the story and being like, I can never be my mom. <laughs> but she was in first grade the sixth grader kept picking on her and picking on her. And she had this little white sweater. My mom's so cute. She was so tiny. They used to call her Dolly because she was so adorable and yeah. tiny. And so he's picking on literally the easiest target, like the little kitten, basically. And my mom knew. And But my mom's like country, country, country. Like she rides horses. She goes to rodeos. Yeah. My mom's like a tough ass country. And she was a tough ass country girl. And they just kept bullying her. And they, they I think the, the kid like splash mud on her sweater that my my grandmother had made for her mm. and my mom jumped on him beat him up and had his head down in a puddle like drowning him oh <laughs> and, the, and the teachers pulled him off and the kid apparently had his dad was like bring me to the kid's house that did this to you and he went to my mom's house 
<laughs> and then when they saw that it was my mom that did that, they were like, ah! <laughs> like you know, That's like, amazing. God damn it, I can't believe, yeah. And my mom was like, and I never got messed with again. Basically, like, punch the biggest guy in prison. Like, that was like yeah, my mom's yeah. advice to me, but also, like, punch the biggest sexist in school and you're never going to get messed with again. And so, like, eventually, I feel like I kind of lived up to that, but I definitely didn't as a kid. So to answer your question in a very long way, I think the combination of, um, you know, understanding the anti-Semitism and its effects on my life, mm. as well as learning about sexism and then becoming very aware of it very quickly in my own life. It was like, man, fuck this world. Yeah, like, yeah. And becoming like, you can't not be political after that. Like you're so aware of these things and you want them to stop. That's just nature, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think like, it's obviously your kind of experience is obviously very unique to, to you, but I think it's so interesting how different people kind of get to that point within like realizing like how fucked up the world is because like I will openly admit like for years I was completely naive to to stuff and it wasn't so I like I trained as a as a journalist that was like my old career and it wasn't until I sort of started learning about like the political structure through that that like how unfair like governments are and stuff like that and then it's just like oh shit like because obviously like I'm a white dude like I I have privilege and everything like that so like things don't affect me but then like when you start doing the reading and stuff you're like oh like this isn't cool <laughs> kind of thing so right it's just interesting right. how like especially especially with hardcore like everyone gets there eventually but they have their own journey to get there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I will say too, like, I think like my, my dad, and I should mention this and shout out my dad for being like, like an early male feminist without like necessarily calling himself that. Mm. But I think like, even as, I mean, like we're Jewish, but we're white, um, like a, a white man, like for him, he would talk to me a lot because my dad's like a very kind of a feeling driven person. He's very yeah. emotive and he's very nurturing and he's, He's very like not stereotypical male, like gender role kind of person. Mm. And he would talk to me about that a lot. Like we talk, we talked like friends all of the time. We still do. Um, and he would say, you know, like society expects men to not cry, men to not have feelings, men. There's a stereotype about fathers not being present, but, I, you know, being your father is like the joy of my life. My dad yeah. loves like, you know, being my dad. He likes dadding, you know? <laughs> He loves to give advice and do help me with things. And, um, and he was like, and this is, and it, it's so like, he would describe, you know, like, like the suffocating feeling of being pushed into a gender role that doesn't fit you, mm. which I think is something that we usually hear from women. But I was actually exposed to it first from my dad. My mom was like, fight the world that, that, that doesn't believe in you because you're a woman. And my dad was like, society puts us in these molds that we don't fit because humans, each human contains, you know, the breadth of human experience. You know, maybe you were, you're aggressive. Maybe some men cry and like, mm. we should be in touch with, we're allowed to be the people that we are. And I was like, that's, I don't want anyone to make you feel like that dad, you know, like, and that was kind of how I was introduced to like larger ideas of like patriarchy or something yeah, like yeah. the way that, that, that it enforces roles, not just on women, but on men, because I saw my dad all of the time feeling at odds, you know, like in like male hyper, like male stereotypical situations of like, 
you know, just feeling kind of suffocated by that. And I was like, my poor dad, you know, like he should be able to feel his feelings and be the beautiful person he is. Why is the world trying to suffocate that? Mm. You know? No, I totally um, get that. Cause I think like, my, I, I kind of had a similar thing. Cause I, I'm in no shape or form, like the quote unquote, like alpha male or whatever that is sort of thing. But I, I never mm-hmm. have been like, even when I was growing up and like, but for me and my dad like the big sort of like bonding thing that we had was like football so we used to go to football all the time Mm -hmm. but like when I discovered like music and like started getting more kind of exposed to that like I started wearing all black I started growing my hair (laughs) and like went to like I remember like I remember it vividly like going to like my first football game like wearing like the old like skinny jeans and like people kind of looking at me like oh that's a bit weird and I felt so self-conscious of it but like now, yeah. like I'd happily go to a football game, like with like my nails painted and all this stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I don't care sort of thing. Right, right. I think, yeah, one of my favorite newer things has come out of, you know, especially like Gen Z in general, but also Gen Z's involvement in hardcore, mm. like the newest waves of the young bands is like a real breakdown in, in gender norms in hardcore, which is not something I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I, I regularly see like hard moshing dudes with painted nails and I'm like, or eyeliner. Even. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And they're not like, not like the bleeding through, like ironic, I'm being so edgy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that thing that happened for a while, it was like really stressful. But like, <laughs> but like this new kind of more like what I feel like my dad would talk about, like the range of like expression is, is not, of course, even remotely open, mm. but I'm seeing little peaks that I never thought I would see. And, and in hardcore, and it makes me feel really proud I guess to be part of a, a place that we're constantly creating and recreating that make people feel like that's a safe expression for them to have yeah definitely you know what I mean so to go back into sort of like the musical world obviously we'll get on to, to Mark for Life in a moment but because obviously your journey into music like I know you as a vocalist of, of several bands but did you kind of dabble in playing any instruments or anything like that or was kind of vocals and singing always the direction that you wanted to go yeah no I really I did play guitar like I said like Slash was my idol yeah. like I had a poster of him on my wall I would like watch him in videos like my goal in life was to do the solo in November rain in the nice. desert with my hair blowing like <laughs> by, by an old church like I was like that's that's it like that's that's like the peak of human existence is to like rip that solo right there yeah um and so I, I, my dad got me like an electric guitar and I started taking lessons. Actually, my first lesson, they were like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to play November Rain. And I want to play this solo. And they were like, okay, first we're going to show you where to put your fingers. I was like, no, no, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I need to go straight to it. Um, so I took lessons and I learned to play like some really basic stuff. But um, without going into too much detail, there were some circumstances beyond me or my family's control um, mm. where I ended up homeless. Okay. Uh, and separate and separated from my family and for I don't know how long actually I've like blocked memories and yeah. I'm piecing it back together but um I think maybe like a year maybe it was like a little less maybe it was like eight months I'm not sure but um in that time I wanted to stay in school so I was like um because I had family you know my mom my mom had moved to Alabama hmm. So I was like, I, she was like, you can move here in Alabama. And I was like, if I get to Alabama, I'm never going to get out. I'm going yeah, yeah. to be in Alabama. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like a hardcore New England person. Like I talk fast. I'm sarcastic. Like I can't, 
I can't survive down there. And will I even <laughs> yeah. get to hardcore shows? You know, like I was so stressed because my mom lives on a farm. So I was like, if I go there, I'm done with hardcore. So I was yeah. like, okay, I know this, this situation is crazy. I can do this. I got this. So I talked to some people at school and, you know, different families would take me in for different amounts of time, but they would like make leave. One person was like, you're to one family, one like parents, <laughs> they were like, you're too sad. You need mm. to leave. And I was like, wow. Okay. Um, so that was like really shitty. And I had a few of my, my possessions with me and one of them was my guitar, but um, I had to buy food. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, the family's sharing with me. I'd also gone vegan, like right before that. And it was really crazy because I was like homeless and I was going through like a, a lot. <laughs> and, uh, but I was like, I think when you suffer or when you, when you go through things, I think you can empathize with the suffering of others more mm. maybe, or hopefully you can, hopefully that's the lesson in suffering is that you recognize the suffering of others. And I think like, because I was like so acutely suffering in that moment that my commitment to veganism became even, even stronger um, even though it was so hard at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know how to cook. Yeah. Like, and then I was homeless and I'm staying with these people, but I was like, I've got it bad, but it's not as bad as being in a slaughterhouse. Yeah. That's awful. I can't be part of that. Like I'll do whatever I have to do to not make it worse for, for those creatures. Cause like, at least I can do that. So, um, I ended up, uh, selling my guitar mm. so that I could have money to eat and, uh, live. So that was kind of the end of me playing guitar, um, which sounds kind of sad, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know, but like the lesson, the, the important thing that I get out of that um, on a personal level, I take from that is like, I feel good about the choices I made. I feel like I, I stayed true to what was really important yeah, to course. me. And like, those are moments where you like create the kind of person that you are, you know, mm. you're created in these actions where, you, where you're faced with a choice. Like, do I do, you know, what serves me better? Or do I serve like the thing I believe in? I served what I believed in got rid of my guitar, was really sad for a long time. And then, and then I ended up um, back with my family, I think at that point, I don't really remember. But anyway, I, I switched schools a bunch too. And I got into this new school. I made a friend, he was kind of punk, but kind of into hardcore. And he was like, you want to start a band? I was like, oh yeah, brother, let's start a band. <laughs> and that's when we started uh, X out of step X. Because <laughs> I was straight up <laughs> by then. And um, we didn't do anything with it. But yeah, um, that was my first time singing and played in a lot of stupid little bands that didn't do anything. Um, mm -hmm. Singing and getting my voice. My, my, my vocal icon was Jamie Jasta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was just trying to sound, trying to sound like, like a hate breed all the time. And then when I was 17, I sang, or 16, I guess, I sang in my first band um that was called uh, we were first called humanicide after a dystopia lyric and then we changed our name even though humanicide was such a cool name we changed it to acadia because it was like it was the era of the birth of metalcore we were a metalcore band yeah we were like, acadia sounds way more you know like 98 metalcore <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, um, so we went for acadia and it was like all lowercase font um and that was my first band we, we played for we played for two years and we did a little east coast tour that's cool before um, I was in any band of note. So firstly, I just want to say I appreciate you sort of sharing that story with me. Like obviously it's not a, an ideal situation for anyone. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um oh, thanks for letting me share it. <laughs> but in terms of like you kind of doing vocals, 
was it just a case of like circumstance that you were like, I'm in this situation, I want to be in a band, as you say, like yep. had Jamie Jaster as a as an inspiration, or yeah. how, was the idea of being quote unquote a vocalist something that you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean the guitar was gone. I wasn't good to begin with. Um, so I was kind of like, yeah, maybe it's fate. Maybe I'm more of an axle than a slash, you know? <laughs> <Turns out. laughs> yeah. Like, fuck it. <laughs> Um, but also I think because I'm really outgoing, I, I'm not that afraid of public speaking. Right. Um, like I, I feel like it was kind of a natural fit. Like, I mean, I still freak out. I always freaked out before every time I ever played. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. Like I like talking and being on stage. It's, it's not, I feel like it was, it, it ended up being a really good fit and I had a lot of fun with it and it was fun to play around with my voice. I think especially being a woman in hardcore, like you can have so much range if you yeah. want to. <laughs> like you can take it so many places. Um, so I had a lot of fun kind of playing around with my voice. Like how low do I want to go? Do I want to go really up high? There's this band called like Jerome's Dream that came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were like, ah, ah. I was like, I could probably do, I don't want to do that, but I think I could go even <laughs> higher. <laughs> you know, like there were just a lot of like avenues to go. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. That's cool. So then in terms of like, as you say, like Acadia was kind of like the first band that you was kind of anything of note but the first band that I was introduced to you by was was Kingdom mm -hmm. so obviously so I'm gonna go a little bit down memory lane here so <laughs> I'd, I'd been straight edge for about two years at this point maybe maybe three I can't remember but I was literally just like absorbing any straight edge band that I could find like this was the age of like last fm in its prime and like you going through like all the myspace top eights finding bands that had x's on at the end of their names and all this mm -hmm. so that's how i kind of stumbled across you guys and then you played a show so i had to uh, i'm gonna give a shout out to my friend cat because i couldn't remember the exact show but she she's like this amazing historian of London hardcore. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But it was a show of the Camden Underworld. I'm, I'm not sure if you were on tour with Bishop, but it was with, oh, yeah. It yeah, was with we Bishop with and them. Ringworm as well. Yeah. But like, even though obviously I'd heard the record and everything, and I knew obviously you were the vocalist, it was the first time like I'd seen like a woman fronting a straight edge band in a small venue because like mm -hmm. my only other kind of like reference point at that point of time was Candice from Wars of Jericho and they were like yeah big band doing big stages sort of thing so mm -hmm. it was like a really like eye-opening thing to see you being like really aggressive like with these like political messages and stuff and there's like 18 year old me mind being completely blown <laughs> thing. that's so awesome <laughs> but like I don't know like for you because you've kind of spoken about like you knew about sort of like sexism from an early age but then when you found hardcore like it was such a welcoming environment did mm -hmm. I don't know was the kind of like you being a woman in a band at that specific time in space in the hardcore world did that ever phase you or were you just like, nope, I'm here. I'm doing what I want. Fuck you kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a good question. Usually, I don't know. I always get really weird talking about my gender because I'm like, it's just born this way. <laughs> like, I don't even fucking care. You know, like, this is my normal. But 
but I, also part of my soul searching. <laughs> hmm. But this is the thing, like, this is why I kind of say specifically to that time, because I like, obviously things have changed massively yeah. now. So Yeah, well, so I think, um, I want to say that show, my memory of that show. So we were on tour with Bishop. Um, the singer Bishop Pete is one of my best friends. Hmm. When Kingdom started, um, we put we we were put together, like we put ourselves together to be a hyper-political band in a time where we thought that hardcore didn't really have hyper-political bands. Yeah. It was kind of a lull. And we were like, well, someone's got to carry the torch. Shit, we'll do it. Um, so we we put the band together um with the with the with the outset of being every song is going to be political. We're going to talk so much between songs, like, like 90s, like 97 style. Mm. Like if people don't like it, they don't have to listen to us. It doesn't matter because like things like that are bands like that are the bands that changed our lives. Like the people, you know, who are in kingdom were like, these were huge, huge moments for us, huge bands that like shaped the rest of our lives. We want to do that, carry the torch and maybe we can be that for someone else. Right. Um, but when we, <laughs> we wanted to tour like we were like and we also want to tour all the time because that sounds really fun so yeah. let's do that too so like her show was the beginning of a two and a half month long tour oh, wow. <laughs> yeah and our first show was like in upstate new york not even like where we lived it was just the first show we could get we're like yep we'll play there so we played the first show totally random and then i was friends with pete from remembering never who's also the singer of bishop mm. and i've been like hey i'm doing this band and he was like cool we're gonna take you on tour and i was like we have what I mean, remembering never at the time was like the biggest band going pretty much and i was like oh just say yes okay yeah 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 okay so like our second fucking show ever was with one of the biggest bands in hardcore at the time yeah. remembering never and i'm like Ugh. like i was like i couldn't i didn't even play the stage i was like i'm not ready i can't be up high i want to i want to be on the floor like yeah. more like a diy thing even though they're like a like a real like loading stage lights like kind of band um so it was really cool. So then like later when, when Kingdom started kind of picking up steam, I was like, Pete, let's do a tour. So then Bishop came, we were like, yeah, tour again. <laughs> um, but we got to that show in London with Ringworm and our driver who was like our tour manager, the Yaki from, um, from, and he was like, all right, everybody, uh, your, your food's backstage, just go back there and eat. And we were starving. So we like descended like locusts <laughs> and we were like, bah, like eating, eating. And like Ringworm was there, but we were like, hey, hey, what's up? Like, we'll talk after we're too hungry we're like cracking open sodas and soy yogurts and we're like and they're just staring at us and we're like oh they're kind of like this is kind of weird <laughs> all right i guess they're not feeling friendly and then their driver comes in another like hungarian driver tour manager and he's like get out get out this is for ringworm <laughs> and we're like and that's when we realize oh my god we're eating ringworm's yogurt <laughs> and that's why ringworm is staring at us because we're just devouring all their food and drinks and then we're all like like <laughs> and like setting our stuff down like okay bye ringworm okay bye-bye <laughs> and we all kind of like like silent children all of us just smiled out like oh ringworm hates us oh my god we were playing with them again and again on that tour and we we're like ringworm's never gonna like us but they forgave us and then later we had they drunkenly played uno with us on a different tour a different really? show same tour yeah they came up like who wants to play uno we we're like yeah they don't hate us anyway that's my memory of the show um which is just super funny and um so for to answer your question directly now <laughs> um i'm sorry i'm such a talker uh uh yeah no I, I i think like at that time in hardcore there really weren't a lot of women doing things it was again kind of a lull there was like yeah. a lull with politics and, and and the you know women have been there since since i got here the women were here before i, I ever even came mm. 
um i'm part of this like women's group in hardcore on facebook that's like i'm probably the youngest person there and they tell i mean these are like like OG 80s women who are like, yeah, I set up this show at CBGB's. Here's a picture of me with SSD, blah, blah, blah. Here's a picture of me moshing. I'm like that 13 <laughs> year old hanging upside down. I'm like, oh my God, you're a fucking legend. So like, there are always women doing yeah, tons yeah. of shit. Um, um, and, but at that time there was definitely a lull. There was also kind of like a rise, I feel like in sexism in mm. hardcore at that time, because there was like a whole in, influx of new kids right, right around the time that kingdom was really kind of happening. Like there is every like, I don't know, three or four years, there's like a whole new wave. And this wave I just felt like was heavy sexist. And maybe it was some of the metalcore that was coming out. Yeah. I think was really sexist um, and contributing to that kind of culture of, you know, it wasn't like the 25 to life that I came up with that was like unity and brotherhood and sisterhood. They were like, this song's about dismembering my ex-girlfriend, yeah, you know, like yeah. that's a different culture. And so I was really like I would beef those bands hard. I would go up to them and be like, explain these lyrics to me. Yo, that's sexist. Like, what the fuck? Hey, what's the shirt? That looks like a woman being torn apart. What are you doing with this in my scene? Mm. You know? So like, I was already getting into stuff with a lot of bands. We're like, let's like with Kingdom, we're also going to confront all those people. And we're just going to be a beef storm. Like the whole time we play, <laughs> like, we're going to just like be pissing people off. But like, that's okay. Like somebody's got to do it. We'll do it. Um, yeah. And I think like, I felt really comfortable as a woman in hardcore at that time because I had been there since 1994. You know, like I don't feel uncomfortable in hardcore. I know that I belong. Mm. I have contributed actively. I have kept up. I've participated. And at this point, and, and this happened young, like even when I was 16, when somebody would say something sexist to me, I'd be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. Are, you know, like, what are you new here? Like, I don't think you get what this is about. So, like, I felt unshakably part of hardcore and hmm. anyone who would think that I wasn't just didn't even get it and they're probably just a fucking tourist anyway that's gonna go <laughs> like you know like they're gonna be here for three years get a cool tap to have a story in a bar later you know what I mean like they don't matter yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. care and I never cared so like when people would say that I'd be like oh you're just some fucking loser okay mm. um so so yeah I guess sorry I'm like moving my chair I'm pacing and moving furniture around <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting into it but um, yeah, I really, I really, um, there, there was definitely a lot of, a lot of kind of sexism at that time. Um, but I was kind of happy, especially then, like I was still in my twenties and I'm, I'm aggressive by nature mm. and I like, and I like to argue and I, I, well, I don't so much anymore. I think I'm changing a lot now as I get older, <laughs> but at the time I liked confrontation. Confrontation made me feel like focused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so so I like to I I like to have those conversations with people. Yeah, because that, that's sense. sort of like why I ask. Because as you say, I've like I can't remember specific bands now, but I vividly remember like, the, especially like in the UK, there was this wave of like, kind of like quote unquote deathcore bands, mm -hmm. and and literally all they were talking about was like, I want to rip this woman's head off, and like, but like to the vulgarity of like the extreme and like I think there was like even a band like their merch was like mm -hmm. I'm not going to exact say oh, specifically but it was basically wanting to do like genital mutilation sort of thing and it's just like yeah that's not cool kind of thing so yeah that's why like for me like when I saw you guys like that's why it felt like a big deal and I know it shouldn't do 
but it was cool to see someone like yourself in that situation because I think like even like the bands that I was going to see even though like it was in the hardcore world there was probably especially again in the UK maybe a handful that had like non-male members and Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten they were either the guitarist or the bassist they weren't necessarily Mm -hmm. the vocalist sort of thing so yeah that's why it was like it felt like such a cool thing for to me yeah yeah I understand that but then in terms of like I always find it interesting in terms of kind of band growth and stuff because you say like you want a kingdom to be like this hyper political band and but also kind of being out on the road and, and things like that and I, again, I think it was just because I, I wanted to absorb all the straight-edge hardcore that I could at the time. But, like, was there a moment that you kind of noticed as a band that, like, oh, like, people want to see us and want to, like, engage with what we're talking about sort of thing? Yeah, actually, I would say that that started really fast for us, which, mm. which I didn't expect, especially because our demo was, like, uh, an abomination. awful. <laughs> I really, I, I don't actually look back on days that fondly. It was a really kind of stressful time. We really had a lot of like problems with people, hmm. beef that followed us. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of part of like the mission. We knew that was going to happen, but it's one thing to be like, yeah. And then another thing to like live it. Yeah, know? yeah. Like I got, I got death threats pretty regularly. Oh, shit. And people would try to ban us from places. There was one place like in Florida, like, they were like, if you come here, we're gonna stab you. And they came and everyone was like whispering when we walked in. And I was like, Oh my god. Stab. And then the dude wasn't even there. Um, yeah, but there were, but there was always like like there were things that happened, you know, like there were bad things that happened to mm. us. And it and it was stressful. I actually forgot the question because I was thinking whether or not I should tell you the story, which I'm not gonna tell. That's <laughs> <laughs> some awful thing. Um, oh, and people were noticing us. Yep, yeah, got it. Um, so yeah, but like I will say that. That, that people connected pretty quickly with us actually mm. on our first tour um by the time we were already like we weren't even a week deep people were like singing along to our demo cool. and we were like what the fuck <laughs> and we we're like it was just crazy i mean we were like we're myspace era and we had the songs up there and people were learning them and um we it was cool too because we were a political band because we're vegan you know like people who are into politics would like be like, hey, let us bring you into this like community center we have and you mm. can see what we're, what's going on. And vegans would be like, I baked you a cake <laughs> and <laughs> I want to take you to this restaurant and the restaurant thinks it's cool you're vegan and all the food is free. And like, you know, we were having these like incredible connections with people. These are the things I really valued from that time mm. were all the people I met who were doing cool things who were, you know, maybe in a way, like we were like an echo chamber for them. But at the same time, I feel like echo chambers can be important. Like, um, like you can it just reaffirms what you believe. It inspires you, you know, like, yeah, what I'm doing is awesome. I want to be more into it, you know? So we were meeting those people um, and just, you know, like regular cool ass hardcore kids. Like we were just having, having a lot of fun um, on those early tours. And then later we actually got to a level when we signed to Eulogy um, and put out our, our full length on that, that we got picked up by like the bigger booking agency mm. in Europe for one tour. Wait, I mean, was that the Bishop tour? I don't remember, but um we we didn't really like it it was like not a fun tour <laughs> and right, we were staying okay. in hotel in hotels instead of on people's floors and like we weren't meeting people and it was like, early load in for no reason we just sit at the venue instead of being able to like see cool stuff in the city and we we're like being a bigger band sucks <laughs> and then so we were like we actually asked the label like can we be can we get off the label now we had a three record deal 
but we just weren't having fun. We we're like, if this was being big is we don't want it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, so we we dropped the label and we actually went with again Pete from Bishop and Remembering Never, uh, put out our last seven inch. Oh, that's cool. And we did it super DIY. We did a couple last DIY tours that were really fun and then we called it. Because mm. was I'm trying to think now. So was um the race of the guides, was that through eulogy? Uh Rage of Guides, Rage of Guides uh oh my god this is how bad i am I'm like was that the <laughs> seven inch or the full length is that the pigeon one yeah oh my god i don't even know yeah the pigeon one yep that one is on um uh eulogy that's okay cool I didn't, I didn't realize that but that's probably just me that was eulogy yeah and that recording sucked too we, we just suffered really bad recordings even though we i feel like we had really good songs you would never know that because recording sucks so much um <laughs> I, still, I still really like that record i'm gonna say really <sighs> Well, I'm glad that you do, but <laughs> I mean, I'm glad because I did that with a lot of years of my life, you know, and I love those songs, but we, um, when we recorded, we went down to North Carolina and our drummer, you know, drummers usually record that they record to like a click track or a scratch yeah, track from the guitar player, um, to keep them on time. And he didn't do that. And he played them at halftime. Oh, shit. So <laughs> it's so slow that I didn't notice until I went to record vocals and I'm not a vocalist that can sustain. I have to sing really fast. Yeah. I have no like like air. I just can't do it. And I was like, bleh, bleh. and I was like, oh my God, they're too slow. Like, oh my God, the songs are fucking slow. So then like when we would play them, I was like, we would listen to the record sometime. Like, hey, let's go over that part. You know, you're, you've been on tour for a month. You like start to forget like how the song actually goes because you're like fucking with it every night. Yeah, yeah. So they'd listen to the recording like, whoa, is this what people think the song sounds like? Because <laughs> it was so different from what we played. It's just like, makes me sad. I wish we could have re-recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> so then in terms of kind of Kingdom Castle coming to an end, obviously, the, so the mm -hmm. next thing that I was kind of aware of you from was um eating alive so was that the next thing yeah. was there anything in between yeah no eating alive was the next thing so kingdom kingdom broke up um we were just we were just tired i mean it's a really strange thing and and i always wonder about other bands i don't really talk to them about this but like we kingdom was a, an active band for uh, for i don't know six years or mm. something but like we wrote a lot of those songs in the early couple of years and then we're touring off of them oh yeah. you know over and over and over and it's such a weird sensation like one year we were on the road for nine months oh wow um and you're playing this 10 song set list or whatever you're like in europe they made us play forever <laughs> they'd be like we want 40 minutes and we actually we would be like we don't even have 40 minutes of material so we play like a million covers and they would say things like come back when you know more of your own songs we're like <laughs> we don't have that many songs like i don't know why you want this much hardcore nobody needs 40 minutes of hardcore like what um so like here you know we play like a nice 15 20 minute set but um yeah anyway point being like you play you know five songs you play 10 songs whatever every night and the songs never change and they're coming from this moment in your life whenever you wrote them and they're locked there mm. it's the same words and it's the same speeches and it's the same ideas and you have the same conversations every night like oh you're from philly what's philly like oh philly's cool how's tour going oh tour's cool okay bye next night how's philly? oh, philly's cool oh, yeah tour's cool okay oh, bye yeah, philly's cool tour's cool and you feel like it's like groundhog day yeah yeah the same songs the same but then like another year passes and you go back and people are like oh my god like i like went to school and I got a new job and I had a family and this is my dog and like I read this amazing book and like they have all these things to talk about you're like I play the same six songs over and over <laughs> Billy's cool 
all right tours going well you know like you're i'm like what it's like spinning your wheels and going nowhere kind of yeah yeah um and i was like the whole world is moving on and we're just locked in this weird moment from like 2009 when we wrote these songs like it feels so strange and i'm so bored with these conversations so like the last couple tours like i i was always reading on tour reading 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 and i would try to talk to people like i remember being in poland being like like trying to talk to them about this like travelogue I'd been reading by Bill Bryson about like Australia or something. Hmm. And I was like, did you know that in Australia, blah, 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 Bill Bryson, blah, blah. and they were just like, so shattered Rome. And I was like, yes, fire <laughs> band. And I was just like, fuck, I just like, I need something more. I felt like, um, I, I love to think about like, you know, when you feel called to something and yeah. it's kind of like this, like, like thing that's like emanating out of you, but it's also drawing you towards something and you can't ignore it. Right. Um, I feel like like a lot of people probably feel that toward hardcore. I think I feel that too. Like you start to shape your life around this like weird calling yeah, yeah. To, to go be part of this thing for, and you don't even know why, but it's happening. And I was kind of feeling this calling, like I need to be around people who like read books and want to talk about all the ideas <laughs> in them. And actually like, I didn't know, I, uh, I, nobody in my family went to college. I don't, I always thought college was like stupid. I was like, only rich kids would think you have to go pay money to read books. Like, damn, or you can read books for free. Um, but then I was like, I, I just want to be in a place where people are like reading and talking about ideas and like seeing what they make out of them, like all together. That would be so like one book all together. That would be so cool. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I think that's what happens at college. <laughs> and then I was like, and then I was like, guys, I want to go to college. And they were like, yeah, you would love it. And I was like, can we, can we be done? We, do you guys want to call the band? Like no more. They were like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I want to go do something. So everyone was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And everybody just kind of went off to go do different things. And like, yeah, it was, so kingdom ended, we came home that March and then I started school that fall. That's cool. Um, so then, yeah, for the next like three, well, four years, I was doing my undergrad. Hmm. Um, and the year, like my, uh, my third year was when Eatin' Alive started. And one of my best friends was like, yo, I got this band. Um, we've got a demo recorded. Would you want to sing for us? And I was like, fuck yeah, man. And then I heard it and I was like, oh shit, this is actually really good. I thought I was going to be in some like crappy band with him, but I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I just, it's a, a bunch of my friends, like this will be fun. And then it was actually really good. And I was like, oh shit, this is sick. <laughs> and that's how Eatin' Alive started. Because the, even though like obviously your voice is quite distinctive in, in both bands so i think like you've kind of honed like the 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 sound that you wanted to go for but obviously like musically the bands are very different very because different. obviously like eating alive is just like straight up fastcore which i fucking mm -hmm. love but like yeah so f i don't know for you personally did you kind of find it difficult to go from one to the other or did you kind of just fit in quite seamlessly I fit in quite seamlessly I think like kingdom I don't know kingdom was like going in so many weird directions we were actually gonna um we were gonna start like a some of the members of kingdom and I were gonna start like a crowbar inspired band because we were just going oh, wow. more and more and more to that direction because we all loved like we were all like like deep metal heads too we were yeah. like yo let's like and we were really like vibing on these like crowbar and we were I'm a obsessed with the band Nile, the, the death metal band. And yeah. we were straight lifting, lifting that with no, no shame, like shamelessly <laughs> lifting Nile riffs. And like, like in the last thing we put out, there's like full on like Nile. But um, so we were like, why don't we just like call Kingdom, Kingdom's done, the whole history, everything about it. Let's start something fresh. And we're just gonna do like a crowbar Nile band. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be sick. <laughs> um, 
but we we ended up not doing it I was busy with school you know like I was I didn't know what I was doing you know I was like learning how to be a student and um which was super fun best thing Mm. I ever did and uh then yeah with eating alive uh my friend was like just sing really fast and I was like that is the one thing I'm really good at (laughs) actually if you wanted me to like because I have no sustain I can't and it was like also if you're feeling any rap core like I naturally go there (laughs) I'm like I'm your girl like let's go um but they didn't want to do rap core when the one day hotel actually now is the moment if I was ever going to do it like it seems back but um uh yeah we, they just wanted to go fast and you know fast hardcore is so fun mm. um I love like I love blasts blasty bits with hardcore actually, yeah, like, same. Stiff, meds. stiff meds is like a perfect band in my opinion yeah I love love how they how they blast and grind their way into like a, a traditional hardcore breakdown mm. um but uh, yeah, so Eating Alive did that as well, which was super fun. And because, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like in, to, in comparison to sort of the amount of touring and stuff that Kingdom did, Eating Alive didn't do as much. Is that correct? Oh, we didn't do any. Yeah, I don't even so, think we left. We didn't even leave. I mean, we left like Philly to go to like 30 minutes out of Philly. No, we didn't do anything. Yeah. So I was going to say, was it just kind of, more an outlet for you guys just to be like yo this is the band we want to do it rather than taking it too seriously yeah yeah definitely and and it started to actually get some traction in which we weren't expecting we were like oh shit um but you know we're all like doing doing stuff like we have you know the other guys have jobs and families and stuff and we weren't really like the idea of touring uh everybody's like you know kind of scraping by we're like if I take off work for these days like how the fuck am I gonna pay my rent you know, yeah like, yeah we're not we're there you know like uh we're not kids like we can't just do this and we weren't really in a, a position to be able to but actually we were going to go on tour in Europe with Wisdom and Chains um the right after we broke up like the spring we were supposed to but that didn't happen oh shit yeah so is is everything kind of done with Ian Alive now or is it still kind of um, an active band no, but very our, much on the back burner kind of oh thing? Oh God, no. Um, we broke up because our guitar player died. Oh shit. One of my best friends. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> nope. no. It's, no, it's okay. Yeah, he passed away very suddenly and um, we broke up immediately. Okay. It was no. a, band, a band of friends and that was it. Yeah, no, that's so. well. Condolences for, for the loss, but... Thanks. Um, so in terms of... We'll, I promise we will go on to Mark for Life. But in, okay. terms, in terms of sort of active bands, what you're pursuing now, like where are you kind of at with things at the moment? So I, I have a new band called Dread LLC, which is like straight up New York hardcore with some some old New York hardcore dudes. Not old, older. <laughs> from the, <laughs> the generation. I don't want to call them old because they're they're... They're not old, but um, from the older generation of, of, of New York hardcore that, that I grew up listening yeah. to. Um, so that's very, very cool for me. Um, and we've been writing songs. We were actually supposed to play our first two shows the week that lockdown started. We oh, playing shit. one New York show because they were all from New York and one Philly show because I'm, well, I, I'm from Philly, but I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Um, but I was then. <laughs> and we were going to play two back-to-back shows um, for our first shows. And then lockdown hit and we were like, I guess the shows aren't happening. So um, they're actually, so now I'm up here and I'm like, yo, because I was coming up from Philly. I would take the bus up, which New York to Philly, it's like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. And it's a $10, a $10 bus. It's not really a big deal. 
so I would come up and, and practice and then come back to Philly that night. Um, but now that I'm here, I'm actually so fucking busy that I haven't even been able to see them. They practice every Tuesday and they're like, hey, we're practicing. And I'm like barely even responding to the text because <laughs> I, I work full time. I'm in grad school. I just moved my houses and boxes and I took on a second job. I'm working for a professor helping with his research. Oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm, I'll be there in five years. <laughs> see you in three years when I graduate, unless I start a PhD, in which case, see you in 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying. I, I want to make it happen. Um, but I also like, I feel like when I wrote the lyrics for the band, it was like, I have so much, so many different things on my mind mm. now that I kind of just want to rewrite everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's like, cool. and when the hell am I going to have time for that? I don't know. No. Like I'm barely, I'm barely feeding myself at this point. So, <laughs> um, but hopefully, but hopefully we'll play again. Um, but the songs are solid. I mean, it sounds like, like a groovy judge kind of nice. Yeah. But yeah, and I can completely relate to the sort of wanting to rewrite stuff because me and a group of friends, we were we were going to start like a kind of oi punk in, inspired band, and I'd nice. had a bunch of I had a bunch of lyrics written, and then like the pandemic hit, and like as so, kind of like what you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, had a lot of soul searching, and looked yeah. at what I'd written, and I was like. No, that's a load of bollocks and then I ended up yeah. moving, and I ended up moving as well so now I live in a completely different city to them as well so like that oh, band's no. kind of a bit either not going to happen or just scrap it or something yeah oh that's such a bummer right I always think of like all the bands like may they rest in peace that like never took off because of the because of the pandemic yeah yeah I really like like living in New York too I've been like okay like I have unlimited access to like random musicians here and I've always wanted to do like a, a really unpalatable power violence band like oh nice not like not a good one not even like <laughs> not even good like real just like like a bass and drums and like you know just something awful because I really actually love stuff like that <laughs> yeah um and I, I've always wanted to do it and I've never been able to and I was like well if I can't make it happen here you know like I know that I can I was talking to a friend he's like you just gotta find you got to go to like a grind show and find someone in like a dystopia shirt and then like make it happen. I was like, I know I'm going to be like, like creeping around, like checking people. Like you look like you might want to be in a three person power violence project. You just need to find Maybe that one happen. drummer that plays in every single grindcore band. That's all you need. <laughs> I, know. I know. Hopefully it'll happen. But speaking of the pandemic, we, we do, we finally arrive at the marked for life <laughs> sort of portion of your life. And I've got to say, I'm, I'm sure many people have kind of said this to you, but like, it was like a golden nugget that was like happened during the pandemic. And I think like, obviously, I know you've kind of said in, in various other interviews and you say it on the show, like how the, the idea of the show wanting to be kind of like the old school, like radio style and things like that. Mm -hmm. But my question to you is like, what kind of made you kind of do it because I'm going to be totally honest like when I first heard it obviously like I didn't know your voice as you if that makes sense like yeah <laughs> it wasn't until like later that I I put two and two together and I was like oh shit that's Davin from Kingdoms like <laughs> so like obviously like you know people in the hardcore world and things like that but my initial kind of like on that first episode that I heard I thought you were kind of someone like me that was just doing it for the love of hardcore 
and weren't necessarily integrated with it like from a personal level sort of thing like if that makes sense but mm-hmm. was that kind of why you wanted to do it or was it just because you because had of, more time on your hand because of the pandemic well yeah well just no just because like you wanted to sort of share the love kind of thing if that makes sense yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah I think like there were a lot of reasons part of my soul searching why am, <laughs> yeah. am I going back to my reasons um I like, the pandemic went to like I, I'm like is this soul searching or is this like narcissistic like, I <laughs> realize like everything I've done and why but um no it, it, it's cool to have all this kind of like understand ourselves better but um yeah I think like it, it did start I just felt it was really quick. It was like as fast as that zine came out, like, oh my God, it's been eight days inside. Will Hardcore ever return? It was me like, oh my God, it's been eight days inside. I have to start a radio show (laughs) because who knows what's happening with Hardcore? You know, like it was like um, comical panic um, at the the time, but I just felt so disconnected. And it it was like such a, a heavy, a heaviness for me. Like, oh my God, I can't go to shows. Like there's no shows happening. I don't know when they can. Oh my God. You know, like when will it happen again? I want to, I want to hear about new bands. I want to talk about hardcore. Mm. Um, you know, like I, I, I have a few friends. I constantly hit up like, yo, you heard any new bands? Yeah. And then we'll like trade. Like I heard this. Okay, cool. I heard this. Like people who are in it, in it, you know, like really want to hear stuff. And, um, but I find it really hard to keep up mm. even as someone who is, actively searching I know where to look you know I know who to ask and yet I'm still I know I'm missing so much yeah Um, yeah and I was like almost everyone I know doesn't have the level of interest in finding bands that I do but I know that there's so much like that they would like and I so I was kind of like you know if I once I already like was thinking about the idea of the radio show I was like you know that would help me number one gives me a reason to really deep dive and reach out to people so when I started Mark for Life, I started writing to people I knew from all over the world, like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Give me a list of active bands in your area mm. that you think are really cool. Tell me about them, you know, whatever. And so I started hearing from people all over. Check out this band. Check out this band. I was like, this is fun. <laughs> so, like, so then it gave me what I didn't realize is like, I'm going to find so many bands. And I also like my quote unquote, like job, not like, I mean, I do it for fun, but like I listen to everything. Yeah. And then I'm just like also kind of like honing my ear in a way I wasn't expecting um because I'm, I'm, I'm taking in so much new music from so many sub-genres that I don't usually listen to because mm. I made it part of the goal of Mark for Life to go all across the genre including to the ones that aren't my favorite yeah because if it was just like the things that I specifically would listen to it would be a really boring show for most people <laughs> because they are all kind of similar but to me wildly different um so I was like, let me really like, like the old school radio shows that I listened to. They would play shit I hated. Yeah. But then sometimes I'd be like, or do I, do I like it? I don't know. <laughs> you know? So like, I was like, I want to expose myself. I want to expose everyone else to all this new stuff. Um, so I got something out of it. I thought I would be able to help people who are also feeling that like loneliness from hardcore, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. like feel connected and still have their finger on the pulse in a way that we couldn't through the pandemic. Yeah, because there was like almost no pulse, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it was still happening. Um, and then also help out all these bands, because I think especially having been in bands before, I was just thinking like, oh, my God, what if I like I just can't imagine being in a band that was rising and you just pick up momentum and that shit starts like yeah, yeah. lockdown. Like, what if you put out your demo or your well, God forbid, like your LP the week before that happened? 
boom, no one gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. Your momentum's done. Like, how do you even get that back? A hardcore band only has like maybe two LPs before they're like irrelevant, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like hardcore bands are short-lived things. So you've got this moment and then it's gone. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I feel so bad. And I was like, well, let me help these bands too. Like, I'll get them some hype, Keep the, be one of those people that keeps the buzz going, you know? Like, it was kind of like multifaceted why I wanted to do it for me, for everyone else to feel connected um and to to help the bands and just hardcore in general Mm. because that's the thing like i'm i've always been one of those people that sort of like digs into like going kind of going back to how i found kingdom like i'm always scurrying for different bands and looking at what who the newest band is and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. i remember like the first two couple of episodes i think there was maybe like one or two bands that i hadn't heard of and I was mm-hmm. sort of like, oh, cool, like, put me onto this band. And now I kind of play a little game with myself of, like, how many bands am I not going to know? <laughs> and it's just like, it's like my like, little thing. It's like, oh, I don't know this band. This is, like, a new one to add to the list. So it's like, like, it's, it kind of reminds me of, like, the old school, like, obviously, like, in America's, like, trading cards, but, like, we had, like, stickers, like, the old, like, like trading off. That's how, even though, like, you're obviously on the other side of the Atlantic. It feels like you're presenting these bands to to the listener and be like, "Here's one for you." Now give me like with with the request side of things. It's like, yeah, I'm giving you these <laughs> bands. Now give me one sort of thing. Yeah, well, and and the request I was really I was really psyched that people got into it. Like they got really into it um, because the radio show that I grew up listening to, the requests were a really big part of it. Mm. Um, but I also feel like it's so fundamental to a hardcore radio show to have participation because hardcore is always like a collective thing. Yeah. Um, like it's like having the mic and passing the mic, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And I think especially like, because, uh, because March for Life is focusing on new hardcore, there's, there's just shit I'm not hearing, especially from like, I just had someone write to me from Arkansas which is a state in America like I forget exists like (laughs) I don't I don't know what's there (laughs) apparently there's a fuck ton of hardcore bands and they like sent me a million links and yeah and they were like hey blah 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 um and so like these are really like it's really cool because not only does it like shine a little light on their their bands and their scene but it's like putting people on the map and I feel like part of hardcore's like mission everyone's like I gotta put it on the map I'm putting this town on the map you know mm-hmm. um and I like you know uh people people call in like the coolest stuff I would never hear bands I get really into somebody actually a request on that episode that's gonna come out next week this I don't know how to say it Golfe? it's a band from uh Italy I think okay kind of like a kind of like a like if you like Rick's uh from from Paris like yeah yeah yeah, I feel like that you probably like them but I was like oh shit like this is my jam like I've been listening to them nonstop. don't know how to say their name but (laughs) (laughs) you know and I'm like I was like wow what a great request like I actually really love this sometimes I don't um especially if it's on the more metalcore end of things I'm kind of like okay whatever (laughs) I'm glad you called it in because I wasn't gonna play anything like that (laughs) it keeps it diverse and then people are always like oh that song's so good I'm like glad you liked it but uh when uh yeah sometimes people turn me on to some really cool mm. shit and I liked when you did the the all requests one because you obviously had like yeah. different sort of <laughs> guest spots and like again that for me that was like 
it was kind of like the, guessing the voice. Like, I know a lot of them kind of introduced <laughs> themselves, but I was like, yeah. oh, I know who that is. I know who that is sort of thing. And I just thought it was like a really nice kind of like added elements of the show, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, thanks. That was my, I mean, I think the last episode that came out was my, my favorite, um, only because I had a long time to like put it together. Mm. And I got the mix, the, the perfect mix, I thought. <laughs> I was really happy, really happy with it. It's really hard to balance it. Um, because I, I had one episode that was all heavy and people complained and I was like, it is, but it's all different kinds of heavy. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? I was like, okay, that's just because that's what I like. Okay. Um, but yeah, that episode was super fun. And everyone who was a voice on that, who was like an operator at the Mark for Life call center was so <laughs> into it. They were so excited and they were all like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> really, really um, into doing this dorky thing. And that's like one of the cool things about hardcore. And I think like, starting to get a lot of people listening who are younger and new and they write to me and they say you know I'm really new I'm learning about stuff like I love your show and I'm like oh that's so cool um but getting to know that they're like the people you know like someone from terror is not like you know they're just a regular person that's gonna mm. like do this dorky thing on a radio show they're not like we don't have rock stars here you know we've got people that you probably know because they're around but they're just like you know the hardcore thing they're just people who are like gonna be on stage one second and moshing the next you know yeah yeah and just in terms of kind of like the the growth and the popularity of the show because as you say like it was kind of a, a a means for you to kind of keep your finger on the pulse as well but like mm -hmm. obviously like you've had the opportunity to do sort of like premieres and you obviously did like the the one scene unity episode which was really cool so yeah that i don't know cool. like has it surprised you like how well it's taken and like how receptive people have been to it yeah yeah I was shocked actually I was really shocked and then I got scared because <laughs> I was like oh sh like you know I, I it's one thing to just like talk into the mic and be like blah 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 I'm a hardcore oh this <laughs> yeah. is fucking sick oh, I love this oh this band's from here you know like whatever <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> But it's another thing when you're like 1,000 people are listening, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, hi, uh, this is, oh God, you know, like I have to just like clear my head and just like be psyched and, and each, each show, I feel like there's more people listening and I'm like, oh, oh Lord. Um, but yeah, that, that shook me for a minute. And then I was like, okay, cool. This is not what I was expecting. This mm. is very cool. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I definitely was not expecting it, but it's it's a really cool thing that happened. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, so I do apologize. Oh God! But all right. <laughs> from the period that we've we've had, and obviously, I know you said you've got an episode coming out next week, so it's up to you if you want to include bands from that or not. But what are your top three discoveries that you've had since doing the show? Ooh, oh, that's an on the spot in the good way. I was like, are you going to ask me about some terrible thing from my past? Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, I literally had one thing in mind, like, oh God, don't ask about that. Is he going to ask about this weird, weird beef from 2012? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, discoveries, discoveries, my favorite discoveries. Let me think. Um, I'm trying to think of what I didn't already know that I listened to a lot. Yeah. Because um, I would say like Age of Apocalypse, but I already knew that. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it's like my very new though. Um, okay, give me a second, give me a second, give me a second. Um, oh, Speed, fuck. Yeah. yeah, Speed from Sydney, Australia. Fucking hell. I mean, 
I would have, I would have heard them anyway. Yeah. Like eventually, like there's no way that vi- that like viral video wasn't gonna like, yeah, yeah, like, cross my path because that is my kind of shit for real. But um, but yeah, like uh, what what's been cool about doing Mark for Life is like I heard Speed and I was like, oh shit, I love this. I played Speed. I hyped him up. I talked about the video, and then um, they hit me up and they were like, hey, we do this podcast, blah blah blah. And now we have this like podcast partnership thing. Like they just did a scene report for the last Mark yeah, for Life, yeah, of course. like two of the guys from Speed. And I was like, yo, that's so cool. And like, yeah, it's it's a uh, really cool to have things like that happen. Let me think who else. Um, oh shit, now I'm going through like every band ever. I'm trying to think who I didn't know before. <laughs> Maybe like uh, Military Gun. Okay, cool, yeah, Military yeah. Military Gun, yeah. They, I really like that band because they're not the kind of thing I would like. When I liked them, I was like, who am I? Why do I like this? <laughs> like, because I always think like, everyone makes fun of me like I just like the hard shit yeah, but um yeah. but I really I, I I think that like people people get it in their heads especially in hardcore they're like I like this kind of hardcore motherfucker you probably like a lot of things you're just like being closed-minded so like um bands like that like being so open I think for Mark for Light too when I heard that I was like oh my god this is so awesome and it, it touches on so many influences through time but it's mm. also really modern like I can analyze their songs forever yeah, when I yeah. listen to them, like I hear this, I hear this, I hear this. Like they make me nerd out, but I also really enjoy it. Definitely, Military Gun is is a cool find. And let me think. Give me another minute. Um, oh, you know, one band I was going off on, I really love, and I hope they do more. Is this band called Denial of Life? Yeah, They're from Tacoma, Washington. Um, they sound like yes, this band Sacrilege, like like a metal band from the eighties. Um, but they also like fit into that kind of like age of apocalypse, NAD, life of agony. They have a female singer with like very like kind of almost sung vocals. Yeah, with yeah. These, oh, the riffs like hit like I would kill somebody to them. <laughs> but the vocals, I'm like, it was just such like an interesting juxtaposition between her voice and the and the um the riffs. Sorry, there's like sirens outside. But um yeah, I was I was really happy to hear them. I felt like they really challenged me, but then mm. I got really into it, really into it. Yeah, really I think they were three. one of the ones that I was like really sort of interested in because I think my, as you say, that kind of like Age of Apocalypse, like Life of Agony thing, that like that's a sweet spot for me because like like Life of Agony were uh, like a band that I grew up on, sort of thing. So anything mm-hmm. that has that kind of sound now i i'm just instantly drawn to so yeah they were definitely one for me and i think like it's interesting you say like military guns well because like i've been a fan for them for for, like a while so like since they did the the first ep but Mm -hmm. i I think it's just amazing how like ian's created two bands that are just completely different but have blown up yeah fields it's just amazing yeah yeah absolutely and i you know i was just talking to my partner about like um you know, like the big cheese, chubby in the gang, yeah, chisel gang. We're like, what the fuck is going on there? Like, stop! Like, oh, the, <laughs> so even more so. so awesome. There was before the pandemic. I'm trying to think of the bands now. I gotta get this right. So, Imposter. Uh, shit, I can't remember. There's basically there was like four bands from Brighton, who essentially. So I'm trying to think. Is Imposter never? And there was two others, but I can't remember their names now. Uh, but they basically just rotated members and they were all fucking sick. But they were all just slightly different variations of like 
punk and hardcore. So there were yeah. different, they were different enough that they weren't like four iterations of the same band. And it was just mm-hmm. like, how are you doing this? You're so fucking good. Oh, I know. I'm so envious. Like I want to be in one of those groups, but then all I can do is sing. And I just have like one voice. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> but yeah, those people who are in those like like incestuous band groups are yeah, so yeah. sick. Yeah. Um Oh, I also want to shout two more bands I thought of. Law of Power from LA. Yeah. Um, I, I heard about them through doing Mark for Life. Again, I would have heard of them anyway, for sure. But um, fucking love them. I would listen to their, the, the few songs they have out like on constant repeat. And that band Entry. Oh, I love Entry. Band. Yeah, yeah. Oof, oof. Like really good, really good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in terms of like what's kind of in the in the future for the show because obviously you've said like how super busy you are with with life in general and obviously like now shows are starting to kind of come back so I don't know do you have like a vision and plan for what you want Mark's life to be or are you just kind of playing it by ear for the time being yeah I'm kind of playing it by ear I think um I think it's still useful um for for me of course I enjoy it and it's kind of a nice break from how busy I am mm. but like the last one that came out I was up until 5 30 in the morning putting it out <laughs> and then like yeah and I work I work at eight and I was like I'm so fucked like I but I was like I have to do it like I was doing two bands premieres they were counting on me yeah yeah one band was like yo when is this coming out? I was like oh, I'm so sorry I'm just so tired and busy I was like, fuck it. I'll stay up all night, whatever. Um, <laughs> but it's so crazy. It's like chaotic, but um, I want to keep doing it because it's fun. And I like, you know, I also make a lot of friends through it. Um, and being a really social person who's like still basically in somewhat isolation because of yeah, my job. Yeah. And now like school turns out, I forgot, like all I do is read by myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now I'm like, I'm doing research, research for a professor, research for work, reading by myself. I'm not sure if I want to go to shows. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable. You know, like it's, it's been kind of weird. So like, it is really nice. Like I talk to, I meet just so many people and bands and other podcasts and zines and, you know, like it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so just the social aspect for me is really fun. And I like the hunt of new bands and always having something new and inspiring to listen to. But um, I feel like as the show's continuing to grow, I'm getting a lot. Somebody wrote, I don't even know how you say it patreon 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 yeah the thing where you pay yeah <laughs> was like can you do that i want to like help you and i was like wait what i don't <laughs> is that money i don't want it like what's <laughs> happening you know like it's just getting i'm getting a lot of really nice messages of yeah yeah um which makes me think that like no matter what's happening you know there are people who maybe are like me who are kind of like forced to stay in people who aren't comfortable to go out or people who are out in the world and they still you know like go into shows like feeling comfortable um and they still they still like mark for life so um i think i want to keep doing it i also think for newer bands it's kind of seems to be becoming a place where they want to get played because it does get them a little a little buzz mm. a little bit you know something to kind of kick it off and i think in those early days when you're a band like anyone who listens to you is like <laughs> if you can get like three people out of your friend group to hear you that's a big deal you know yeah, like if they yeah, repost, yeah. that helped those first early people telling is really important 
So if I can help with that, you know, that's awesome. And I love that bands, you know, like are wanting to premiere stuff with me. That's just, I've got another one coming next week. Like it's, it's really fun to do. Um, so for the time being, I'm going to keep it up. Um, I think when I, when I am comfortable going to shows, which, I mean, like I said, I'm going to one next week. I don't know what I'm doing, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to like, yeah, like set up a table. I give out flyers at shows and talk to lots of people, talk about hardcore and stuff. Like when I have gone to shows, I've got the, I made keychains. Yeah, they look so. <laughs> uh, Mark for life keychains. Yeah, it was so fun. Um, and I'm going to do more like stupid merch and probably just set up a table and it just gives people a reason to talk to me and talk about hardcore and stuff. Um, so I'll probably just keep it going. It's going to be a little more sporadic, but yeah. yeah, it'll keep going. That's cool. And just in terms of like, because obviously where the show's become so popular now, and as you say, you're getting people kind of coming to you, asking you to like premiere their stuff and things like that. How do you like decipher like what's going to go on each show? And have, have you currently got like a massive backlog? Like how do you kind of oh yeah figure out <laughs> figure out the logistics of it? That's a really good question. Um, it's way harder than you would think. And I, I feel so bad when people are like, they send me their stuff and I'm like, yo, that's cool. Like, I'm probably never going to play it. <laughs> and that's, I can't tell them that because like, and then some things I'm like, yo, I'll write to them. Whenever I'm going to play a band, I write to them and I say, I'm going to okay, play cool. you. It's going to be on this episode. Like, it's never like a surprise. Everyone knows. Yeah. Um, and I always, I'm always like, you know, my new thing is I, I'm really about providing context and this is another reason I think that Mark Relay should keep going um is like playlists come out and that was a, another reason why I wanted to do it because like I kept hearing playlists somebody put together this playlist like look and I'm like cool I like this who the fuck is this where are they yeah, from yeah you know like have they been in other bands like I don't even know what I'm listening to so I don't care because hardcore is not just music <laughs> you know yeah, yeah I need the context or it's it's worthless to me it's just like good sounds but you can be technically proficient in hardcore and still fucking suck, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like, like, and for example, like I'll get bands and like bless them, you know, like <laughs> maybe oh, I shouldn't even say this now. I feel like I'm talking shit. I feel bad. Um, I will come across bands, let's say. Uh, I'm already out of them. Okay. <laughs> I get weird. I get, I get, I get, I just get people. I'm going to, people write to Mark for life and they're like, yo brother. Yo, my brother, love what you guys are doing. And I'm like, okay, you don't even know. Like, that's so disrespectful. Like, you didn't even listen to what this is. Like, it takes five seconds to check it out. Yeah, but you yeah. want me to check you out? Okay. <laughs> so I'm already like, all right, bro. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check you out. But then I, like, spite check them. Like, oh, this is going to suck. I'm going to see how much they suck. And then, like, sometimes I hear it. I'm like, yo, this is really good, actually. <laughs> and then, um, but, but I never play a band just based on what they, they, they sound like. Right, There's actually okay. a lot that goes into it because like, I, I'll, I'll check out videos of them. I'll see what their live show seems like. If I know someone from their city, I'll hit them up and be like, yo, tell me about this band. Do you know That's anything cool. about them? Yeah. It's like a vetting process. Kind yeah, of. And it's yeah. not a way to be like cool shit only. You got to know the inner circle, but like you have to be an actual hardcore band. That's part of the hardcore scene. And I get yeah, these yeah. kind of like, like dad rock bands. We're like, they'll play hardcore and they're, they're good musicians. God, they sound great sometimes. And then I'll watch a video and they're like, what's up Tucson, Arizona? Throw your <laughs> horns up. And I'm like, okay. Like you don't even get it, you know? Yeah, and you yeah. just called me brother anyway, so whatever. <laughs> um, so like, I'm not going to play those bands, even if they are really good. I'm probably like a better recording, a better musicianship than a band that I will love and think is sick and I'll play and I'll hype the shit out of. Yeah. Because they're real hardcore kids, part of the scene, they've been supporting you know, like they're, they're moshers, they're zine makers, like they're from our, from our world. 
making a band and maybe the band isn't like the tightest but it's like the realest you know yeah and that's really what i what i i really do vet every band to make sure they're like real and maybe not part of the the scene that i'm part of you know like i might not like especially the hardcore punk bands like i like the way they sound a lot and i respect their scene but i do not have a good time at those shows yeah 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 (laughs) Um, but you know, like if they're the real deal and they're, and they're good, I'm definitely playing it because I have people who listen, who like, like that. I like it too. I listen. I just won't go to the shows. <laughs> um, so, so it is, there's a lot of like kind of vetting. Um, so I'm not just playing any old thing, um, which I think kind of contributes to like why people like listening to the show because the bands are really sick. <laughs> they're yeah. from our, they're not just any old thing. Um, and I do really, really try to balance every show, which is the hardest part. So like, I'll, I'll put a lineup. I'll be like, okay, here it is. And then I'll play it through and be like, ah, oh, it's too much like this. Okay. I got to find something melodic. I don't like melodic hardcore. Okay. Let me see what's going on with melodic <laughs> hardcore. Let me ask a few people I know who like it, you know, like, <laughs> um, and I, and I surprise myself with what I find, but yeah, it is a really hard balance yeah. to get everybody to cover all the bases because part of the, the mission, it didn't start that way, but it became showing kind of the breadth of what is coming out of hardcore mm. and all that you can call it hardcore and there's going to be so many things within it and sub scenes and sub scenes and different sounds. Some shit's going to sound like metalcore. Some of it's going to sound like skinhead, like oi, you know, but it's all hardcore. And actually I, wa- I wanted to bring this up. I think like one of the more interesting conversations that's happening recently is around that new turnstile record. Yeah. Yeah. And what is hardcore? Because it's something I think about a lot in, in making the show, like even chubby and the gang. I'm like, is people are like hardcore record of the year. I'm like, is it really hardcore? I mean, it is, it isn't, it is yeah. kind of punk, it's kind of rock, you know. This and is the then thing, like, like, I don't even think they consider themselves hardcore. Like, I've spoken to the the Chubby and the Gang vocalist before, and he's like, we're not mm-hmm. really a hardcore band. We just play like punk that I grew up on. So like, it's interesting right. that, that like people have that. I think it's just like it's more of their live perception like when they play live it's more like a hardcore exactly show. it's it's yeah like live and who you are and yeah. like there can be like there can be i was thinking this today because i've been really watching the turnstile debate because it's asking these like really big questions about hardcore that <laughs> mm. <laughs> i think chubby and the gang asked too right like but that's that's interesting that they're like we're not a hardcore band everyone's like yes you are you shut your mouth <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> Um, but it's like, if you're from our world and you understand our culture, you're one of us, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. what the fuck you do. You're a hardcore person. You're a hardcore band. Turnstile is not playing what I would consider hardcore. Are they a hardcore band? Yeah, sure. But then there's bands that play hardcore, that play what we know is hardcore. And I think if there are some of these bands that everyone would say, that's not a hardcore band. They're just playing hardcore music. Like they think they are hardcore, but they're not. Yeah. And the reason that is, is because they're not from our culture. So it's an interesting thing. And I think that's why playlists fucking suck (laughs) because like, you don't know, are they one of these like fake ass, like they heard hardcore and they're playing it, but they're not from our world. You know, you don't have to be the coolest person from our world, but you have to know what the fuck it is, you know, and come from it. And then you're down, like, then it's okay. You know what I mean? So then like turnstile can be hardcore playing like pop, but then like some hardcore sounding band is not because they're not actually hardcore kids. Yeah. I think like there's, um, I can't remember who it was now, but there's a, there was a similar thing. Like, there was a band that came up that, like, I think they, like, literally recorded a demo, like, during the pandemic. And it was, like, it was good enough, mu- like, musically, 
but then like my friend like did research and they were basically just like metal kids that were now playing hardcore because they thought hardcore was now the cool thing to do mm-hmm. and it's like you're definitely just going to be around for like a hot minute and then not be a band anymore sort of thing like you've just done this to latch on to what you think is cool kind of thing yep which yeah, I think we're, we're sadly going to see a bit more of but oh uh, well yeah I think one of the, the craziest things I can't believe like I nobody saw this coming but the pandemic mm. led to a billion people getting into hardcore yeah a, just a fucking billion people and I was like shocked I spent all of the pandemic thinking who's gonna be left yeah I did well yeah we're gonna be limping along with like you know 15 people at shows and two moshers <laughs> it's gonna be crazy so yeah like much to my everyone's surprise and that's what actually as I've been getting the scene reports from Mug for Life everyone's saying like oh my god there's so many new people oh my god shows are insane yeah um so we're experiencing this weird renaissance of hardcore um but in it with all these new kids like anytime we get a wave like when we had that super sexist deathcore wave I'm sure they're all gone by now thank god yeah but um you know like we have I think as as like people who have been in hardcore like kind of a responsibility to like let them know what's up you know like they bring in that you always come into hardcore thinking it's like any other like like live music I like jumping around you know and you have to learn like that there's so much more that there's like that there's a cultural aspect that there's like expectations of how you act toward other people of like mutual respect and making people feel you know welcome and not fucking weird <laughs> yeah, yeah um and there's and with this many people i've really been thinking like shit like there's more of these new kids than there are of us now <laughs> yeah um, and I, i've been really thinking like how how people who are contributing to hardcore now can like help get the message out because i know when i was young and getting into hardcore being so isolated I was trying to piece together what it was and it was really through actually the radio show that I used to listen to um, that kind of inspired Mark for Life where I would hear things and kind of get the vibe like, okay, it's kind of like this. So reading zines um, and people would like talk about it. I was like, oh, wow, there's like, I really like everything I'm hearing, but I wouldn't have known, you know, if someone didn't tell me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So I really hope that that people step up and kind of like guide this new generation Mm. into not, and not, kind of um diluting what hardcore is it, it, it and not to say like don't change hardcore like yeah of course change hardcore but like keep the 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 necessary elements of being like anti-racist anti-sexist you know against homophobia of mutual respect of you know unity and all these other things that i think are so foundational and important yeah I really hope that people people take that away very quickly mm. and i think it's like it's quite interesting because especially like in the age of the internet as well like there's a a group that I'm on on Facebook, which is, um, it's admittedly, it's not like predominantly like hardcore, but it's like a music sort of forum sort of thing. And and they were talking about, I can't even remember what it was. It was something around like women vocalists was the, was the topic of conversation. <sighs> yeah. And, and it was like, somebody put like, oh, I'm really into X band. Can you recommend me other bands, whatever? And they were talking about like how like the female voice has a different range, so it sits differently in different music and and whatever, which is fine. But like the way they referred, so do you know the band Spirit Box? Mm-mm. Okay, so they're kind of like more like tech metal-y sort of thing. 
Um, mm -hmm. And their vocalist used to be in, I want to say I wrestled a bear once or one of those. Okay. Bands. Yep. Um, but they referred to her as, oh, that chick from Spirit Box. Mm -hmm. I was just like, literally just head in hands. I'm like, dude, it takes two seconds to Google her name. And it's just like, yeah. So yeah, that is that kind of, that's the worry is that we get, people are still very narrow-minded of, of like, like things that can be microaggressions within the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, but I do, and actually spoil the intro of the next episode, I'm going to talk about this because it's, it's a conversation that, you know, every intro, I kind of like take on a yeah. subject that I've been talking about or hearing about or whatever. Um, and I haven't, I haven't really done it in a while because it's seen reports, but I am this time because I think it's important, but like what you're talking about with like someone on the internet said this and, um, but I, I immediately think, but who the fuck are they anyway? Like, are they even part of hardcore? Or yeah, are they yeah. just some like, and I think like what I've been hearing from, from people who are, who are younger than me, more of like the digital, like hardcore generation where they're piecing together what hardcore is through fucking comments, yeah. which is like really hard for me to wrap my mind around. And I'm like, okay, but you know, those guys are bullshit. Like who the fuck are they anyway? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, but people say this. I'm like, but who are people? Are they even people who matter? And they're like, oh. <laughs> I don't know I'm like well who cares what they say about hardcore it's like if I made commentary on like fucking cow farming or something like what does my opinion matter on that or yeah, yeah. monster truck driving I can weigh in on that it doesn't mean what I'm saying matters or even comes from a place of knowledge or that it's you know like and I think that what I what I once this person said this to me I started really noticing that there's so much perception that people are getting about what people in hardcore think from mm. people who aren't even in hardcore you know, and I'm like, what? Oh, shit. So after, after I heard that, I really started like, I said, well, why do you think that? Like, who the fuck are they anyway? You know, they're probably not part of our scene. They said, well, I guess it's because it's the only thing I see. I don't yeah, see anyone yeah. disagreeing. I'm like, well, I think no one's disagreeing, you know, because they're like, you know, whatever, fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you don't even know. You're probably like, I don't know, some random like accountant who, you know, heard one heavy band once and found your way to the internet to shit post. Um, but yeah, I so I was like, okay, cool. Well, if you need to hear like dissenting opinions, I I don't talk shit, but I love to. <laughs> like I can. <laughs> I would love to engage with literally every internet person ever and make fun of them. Um, so I made it a mission actually, like mostly in the no echo group, the no echo hardcore group, which I think is really I don't know if you're in it, but it's a, a Facebook group with yeah, like a yeah. lot of members. I find out about new bands, I like seeing the articles, I like seeing you know, some of my friends post stuff. But whenever somebody posts something stupid, I have now made it my mission <laughs> to just make fun of them. <laughs> and I was like, I have to do this for the greater good. Honestly, it's just really enjoyable. But I really hope that I, I think everyone else should do it too. Like if there's a new generation of hardcore kids believing things about hardcore based on the comments of irrelevant people, then let relevant people make fun of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like talk that shit down, like laugh them into, you know, like laugh them, laugh them away. Like it, their opinions are so, so irrelevant, but I do think that sometimes like they contribute to a perception that even people inside the scene will have and be like, people think this. I'm like, do they though? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Davin, I've taken up way too much of your, your time. So I re really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with me. Um, yeah. Thank you. How I usually end this is to ask what your favorite song to play live is, but where you're currently not in a band, so to say, or a band that's playing shows i'm going to give it a bit of a twist 
So out of the bands, I know you've mentioned Spy, so I'm going to take Spy off the table. But what band that you've played on Marks of Life are you most looking forward to seeing live? Oh, um, I thought you were going to ask to play a song by them. And I definitely have one I think you should play. And I'm going to say this band because it's actually, I was thinking about this earlier, band I most want to see is Three Knee Deep. Oh, nice. <laughs> I want violence. I want chaos. I want, I want Mosher's Delight. <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want the Mosher's Anthem, man. That song is so good. It's just peak ignorance and yeah. it's peak you have to be from this world to even understand how fucking funny and awesome that song is yeah. <laughs> so masher's anthem with a z <laughs> you know if it's got a z it's gonna be good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i would really like to see them because i just want some some good old-fashioned chaos <laughs> brilliant davin thank you very much for your time really appreciate it and yeah keep up the keep up the good work thank you so much thanks for having me on no worries take care you too bye So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Davin for taking a long period of her time out of her day to have a little chat with me. Uh, as always, you can keep up to date with what she's doing with Mark for Life on social media. We will put the links in the uh, show notes of this episode. Uh, there will be another episode of Mark for Life coming out this week as well, so go check that out. There'll be 10 more bands that Davin will be shouting out. And yeah, just keep... Like if you're into new hardcore and you want to keep your finger on the pulse, Mark for Life is definitely a place to do that. Um, but yeah, that's it for another week from us here at the Justin Insight Podcast. Hopefully, I'm not going to have any more technical issues from now on because I think I've fixed everything. Touch wood. But we will be back again next week. But as always, thank you for stopping by the Justin Insight Podcast, and I will see you soon. Yeah.